Greetings from Kaiju Island, a show where a kaiju veteran and a kaiju newbie watch giant monster movies and talk about them. I'm Andrew. And I'm Amanda. Amanda. Yes. The movie that we are watching today is one that is very, very important to me and other Godzilla fans. Having already seen the movie, I'm a little skeptical about where you're going with this, but go on. I think everyone, every Godzilla fan of a certain age has a specific experience with this movie. And by this movie, I am, of course, referring to the seminal film, 1998's TriStar Godzilla movie, called Godzilla in all caps. And I would say that the experience we had was, you love Godzilla before, get very excited about watching this new American-made Godzilla movie, and then the movie happened. Is this the first American Godzilla movie? It is the first full... Fully American-produced Godzilla movie, yeah. You could make arguments about some other stuff. Like, there's American versions of other movies, but yeah. Well, I remember that America was going... So, an American company was going to partner with Toho for Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. But then they pulled out, right? I vaguely remember this story. At the last second? That that is kind of a common story. (laughs) There were plans to bring an American talent or whatever and it worked sometimes you get some american actors in godzilla movies but there was no american produced godzilla movie which holds a lot of promise in concept does that promise get uh, upheld well it's certainly american it's definitely a movie we definitely watched what two hours and 19 minutes it had a few big names in there uh-huh So, what I'm saying is, we're walking into something in which everyone has very strong opinions. You either have very strong negative opinions, or you kind of like the movie and are upset that everyone poo-poos it all the time. No one really has a a neutral opinion about capital G-O-D-Z-I-L-L-A, American Godzilla. I would say my opinion is pretty neutral on it. Sure. We've definitely, there's definitely worse kaiju movies out there. Yeah. Gorgo. Uh, the first Gamera. Yeah. That was such a slog. Yeah. Zarkor. I just watched Zarkor on my own time. But then again, you know, everyone has their own favorite Pokemon. Sure. People, we'll talk about it. The monster in this movie, people are very fond of. Now. there's been enough time so how about we jump in to how did this movie get made and then we'll talk about the movie that sounds like a good plan sounds like a plan okay Uh, in the 80s and 90s we've talked a little bit about this the godzilla series was rebooted we call it the heisei series it's the essentially the 90s series goes from 84 to 95. How is that a 90s series? It's dead center. There's only two movies in the 80s. There's four or five movies in the 90s. Okay, I'm with you now. Yeah. The series is beloved by fans, did not do well financially. So in 95, they said, we're going to kill off Godzilla. We haven't seen any of the Heisei movies, but 
they kind of got increasingly f- or decreasing amounts of audience uh, viewership. They were just making less and less money. So Toho decided we're going to kill off Godzilla. It'll be this big event. Godzilla versus Destroya is the name of that movie. We'll get to it eventually. And as part of that, they signed a deal with TriStar, an American film company, to let them make their own movie. Which, again, everyone's very excited about. Was the point to reignite interest in Godzilla by bringing it to a new audience? I think the point was to make money. (laughs) Yes, but I mean, and in doing so, bring back the people Uh, who can spend money. I am sure that was the hope, yes. There were a lot of proposed ideas for this movie. They brought in... uh, Did I forget to write down... It's not super important, but the original script was a little wild. The original script was a movie where Godzilla was created by Atlanteans. Is it a creation of Atlantis? So it's already super on par with the Godzilla movies that have been made up to this point. Sure. Like, I mean, it gets rid of the nuclear background, but I don't know how to feel about it because it's not a real movie. So whatever. Uh, And then gets attacked by... Or Earth gets attacked by a shape-shifting alien called the Griffin. And the plot of the movie would have been kind of like Moby Dick, where a woman lost her husband to Godzilla and is trying to find and kill Godzilla. This sounds like the legendary Godzilla story. It sounds a lot like legendary Godzilla. The Atlantis stuff kind of sounds like the 90s Gamera trilogy. No, but they had like Atlantis type stuff and in there the was, legendary you're stuff. You're totally right. You're totally this right. It sounds like what they ended up turning into the legendary because they I, bring in King Ghidorah. Yeah. I don't know. King Ghidorah came from outer space in alien. the legendary, right? Yeah. So he's not shape-shifting, but it's sounding really similar to the legendary stuff. Yeah, that's weird. I had not thought of that. And then the director for that movie ended up backing out. And so they called in Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. Do you know who those are? No. Okay. I don't... For context, this came out when I was five. Yeah, I didn't get to see it in movies. I was nine. Slightly too young to see it. I started really getting into Godzilla movies like two or three years later. So I did see this a lot when I was a kid, but I didn't see it when it first came out. Roland Emmerich, well, this pair in general are, or were at the time, really, really well known for making disaster movies, which works, I think, very well. I think it's a good choice. Especially because I know you said Godzilla is up to this, uh, very recently he's been looked at as a force of nature. Sure. So it's continuing that trend. My favorite interpretation of Godzilla is as a force of nature. So yes. Uh, Roland Emmerich, I will get into him a little bit more as we go. He uh, it was the director. He also, he's famous for movies like Stargate, Independence Day, Day After Tomorrow, 2012. Big disaster movies. Have you, do you know any of those movies? You're giving me wide eyes. <laughs> I think I've seen Independence Day, and I've heard of others. Sure. I just haven't seen most of them because part of it is I don't, I didn't watch a lot of disaster movies in general. Yeah, that's fair. And then Dean Devlin, at the time, they were like a pair. Dean Devlin was producer. He worked on all the same movies that I just described. We'll get into more about the two of them and like their thing later, but they came in to, to make the movie. 
And all I really want to talk about before we get into the movie is how they approached it. We'll go into details as we go, but when they saw the original script, they tossed it in the trash. (laughs) Um, They said it was good. In fact, I have a quote from Roland Emmerich, the director. Had some really cool things in it, but it's something I never would have done. The last half was like watching two creatures go at it. I simply don't like that. Is he not a kaiju fan? Oh. Oh. Um. Uh. You know what? You decide after some of these quotes I've got. Just because that's like the... That is what a kaiju movie is. It's two big monsters fighting, usually. Yeah. Or big monster fighting military. Well, here. How about you decide... After this next quote that I've got. Uh, This is also from Roland Emmerich, the director. I didn't want to make the original Godzilla. I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted to make my own. We took part of the original movie's basic storyline in that a creature becomes created by radiation and it becomes a big challenge. But that's all we took. Then we asked ourselves what we would do today with a monster movie and a story like that. We forgot everything about the original Godzilla right there. Yeah, that sounds like a good representation of the movie. Why did the job go to somebody who clearly does not have any appreciation for this very long-standing franchise? Uh, they were big money at the time? That's my best. I've got two more quotes. These are both from Dean Devlin, and then we can jump into the movie. Okay. Uh, Dean Devlin said, I told Sony that I would do the film, but on my own terms, with Godzilla as a fast-moving animal out of nature, rather than some strange kind of creature. Sure. Um, and then another quote, both of us thought it was a dopey idea the first time we talked. When Chris came back to us, we still thought it was a dopey idea. So they're not coming in, (laughs) what I hope to infuse in you is a knowledge that they did not come in with a respect for the subject matter. So I'm not going to get into the details of this. I just remember a lot of the talk around when the Fifty Shades of Grey movies were coming out is both the main actor and actress Hated it. Hated it, yeah. The actor, I think, said something like, after doing some type of shooting or being on some type of set, he needed to take a shower before he would touch his family. (laughs) And, like, I'm not a big fan of the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise. It's whatever. But it has a lot of the same energy of that, of people who just clearly don't like the material doing it for the money. Yeah, yeah. And we'll... I mean, again, we'll talk a lot about details throughout the movie. There may be other reasons that they picked up this project. So, yeah. they it We're not starting off in a good place. We're starting off with just blatant disrespect for the subject matter. But I'm trying. I'm, I'm going to therapy. I'm trying to get over it. <laughs> we're, we're trying to move on to a place where I don't feel hatred. And I'm, I'm achieving peace in my life. And what's that thing? You, you always talk about separating artists from their art. Sure. And I'm not saying the art itself is great either. <laughs> but for the sake of this, we're mostly going to be looking at the art itself. And we're removing the artists from... Yeah, and I actually have a lot of respect for Roland Emmerich specifically. Not because of this movie. But <laughs> as a person. Like, we'll talk a bit about stuff that he's done. I, I respect him. One last thing I wanted to talk about going into the movie is me, how I felt going into the movie. Because to me, a big part of this movie was the advertising. A big part of the movie. 
I haven't shown you these commercials. Uh, we may be on a break. I'll show you some of them. They did not show Godzilla's design at all pre-movie coming out, which was a good idea. <laughs> um, but the very first thing that they released was a, a shot of the Natural History Museum with a T-Rex skeleton. And then a big foot crushes the T-Rex skeleton. And it's like, whoa! I like it. Yeah, it's cool. It's very creative. New York, as the movie was coming out, New York was covered in signs like, he is this tall. You have seen a, see a sign up at the top of the building or whatever. Or his foot is as long as this bus. Or, you know, just things to make it really mysterious about what kind of monster it is and stuff. It's all a lot of fun. Then you watch the movie. Then you watch the movie. I think the only other commercial I wanted to talk about was the Taco Bell commercial. Very. This was when they had the kind of racist chihuahua mascot. But he like had a little like in the commercial he had a box being held up by a stick and there was like a piece of meat or something. Oh no, there was a taco underneath. Like he was trying to catch Godzilla and then he starts seeing like the ground shake or whatever. He's like, I think I need a bigger box. <laughs> I think that the advertising for the movie maybe the best part of the movie. Yeah, I can see it. It's great. It was a lot of fun. Um, I feel like we should have just done it on the commercials and not. Bothered to watch the movie. I would have had a more, way more fun time. <laughs> I think that's all I've got to start with. How about we just jump in? Sounds good. So the movie starts with a clip intro. It's a pretty common way of starting Godzilla movies, I feel like. Yeah. It just shows us that Fran- France is doing nuclear testing in French Polynesia. And then we get a lot of clips of just a bunch of random lizards, a lot of sea iguanas, but they also show like a Komodo dragon and... Just a a lizard. Just random lizards. Yep. And they show the explosion and then they show on an island some giant eggs. Yep. Problem number one with the movie. It's uncomfortable that Godzilla was made by American nuclear testing. Pass it off on the French. (laughs) To be fair... Okay. There's definitely racist french stereotypes however the french are also probably the best part of the movie yeah but still like it's taken the whole point of the godzilla franchise essentially like it's the core of what godzilla as a character is is that he's a warning against nuclear warfare and having him made by american nuclear testing or involved with american nuclear even legendary got rid of that origin but he still is involved with american nukes it's kind of important and just passing it off on the French who had nothing to do with anything. I don't know. But again, trying to achieve peace in life. This is <laughs> this is me exercising the demons. I don't think this podcast episode is going to be great for your blood pressure. <laughs> so they do a lot of the, you know, text comes up on screen of where we're located because they jump around a lot. So I'm just going to be throwing out locations. Definitely. They don't super matter. Definitely at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then it all takes place in one area after that. But So we start in the South Pacific, and we see this pretty racist depiction of a man on a fishing boat. He's manning the sonar. It's this East Asian man eating out of a bowl with chopsticks, watching sumo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> on a fishing boat, too. Like, yeah. It's at, what are things that we know Japanese people do? So... It's a fishing boat who that's clearly supposed to be 
an East Asian, probably Japanese fishing boat. And he sees this big blip on the screen and then they get attacked. You see some really cool shots of claws coming through the the hull of the ship. Mm-hmm. And basically Godzilla sinks their ship. Yeah. Or something does at least. Yeah. We're all, we all know where this is going. <laughs> I saw the commercials. I know there's a monster in this movie. <laughs> Then we jump over to Chernobyl, which is in Ukraine, which was apparently, side note, so on our edition of this DVD, of, our, of the Blu-ray, it has this quiz that Andrew and I decided to take. Yeah. And one of the questions, so they're all questions about this movie. Uh-huh. The clips they show as part of the quiz, of the trivia had very little to do with the questions. Yep. And one of the questions is, where is Chernobyl located? Where is Chernobyl? They're quizzing us on the little text that popped up to say where we're at. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. I got off topic, but I thought that was funny. So we're in Chernobyl, and we're introduced to the main character. His name is Nico Totopoulos, although you don't hear that until the very end of the movie. Everyone calls him Nick. Sure. And everyone mispronounces his name, which gets, you know. We'll talk about it. Yeah. He is there, he sets up this, like, electrical contraption, he sticks some poles in the ground, in the dirt, and puts a charge through them using, like, a portable battery, and all these big earthworms rise to the surface, which he then scoops up with his bare hands. With his bare hands. Without turning off the electrical charge. In the rain. And I don't, I don't know anything about Chernobyl as far as... If it's safe right now to be... Hmm. Out and about, like, they do tours and stuff to Chernobyl. Well, obviously not right now, but they they do tours to Chernobyl. You just can't go in the, in the dome. That's fair. Okay, so the radiation isn't such a big deal. It will be later, but here, <laughs> he is still in the rain, putting his hands where he just is running an electrical charge. I would say that this is the most... That fact is the thing that most respects the origins of Godzilla because uh, Dr. Yamane from the first Godzilla movie does the exact same thing with a radioactive trilobite. Just picks it up with his bare hands. I can't. Yeah. No one no one respects the actual like risks of radiation, nope. even though all of these movies are supposed to be are the risks it. of radiation. <laughs> it doesn't come up in this scene, but you no. know. He also, we also see in his car, he has pictures of a blonde woman who he clearly has feelings for. It's pictures of him with a blonde woman. Yes. Nico, or Nick, is played by Matthew Broderick. He is. Matthew Broderick. Actor definitely most famous for playing Ferris Bueller and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Which is really my only touchstone with the character, sure. with the actor. I know he was really popular in the 90s he did a lot of these types of movies i just yeah. didn't watch a lot of them well he was also adult simba in the original lion king he's one of the main characters in the musical version of the producers and uh he's inspector gadget in the live action inspector gadget movies i did watch that i would not have recognized him <laughs> from it since i haven't seen it since i was five yeah apparently but i mean it's matthew Broderick, not a lot to say, everyone finds him very attractive in the movie, and I would say Matthew Broderick is, no offense, Mr. Broderick, but I would say he is about as average a white dude as you can get. 
this is being said by a very average white dude. So it's, I'm an expert. It's just a little over the top gross. It's like when men write women in books uh-huh. and every woman is judged by how sexually attractive they are and how attracted they are to the main character. Yep. It just reminds me of a writing clearly done by men. Yep. To describe women, women are all like fawning over him. Yeah, women, are, all these attractive women are fawning over him, and that's like the thing you notice first. Yeah, is how sexy they are and how much they're into you. Yep, but you know, got nothing against Matthew Broderick. He's cool. I don't even think that's his fault. I just think it's weird writing. I think it's weird writing. So that's our introduction to Nick. He's in the middle of collecting earthworms when a bunch of soldiers come in. Most of them are speaking, I'm assuming, um, Ukrainian. Yeah. He's I don't know Ukraine. if they're saying it. I think he's just saying stuff at them. No, but they're talking in a different uh, language in the background. So troops come in, uh, like a troop comes in of some kind. Yeah. Um, with a U.S. State Department representative. who's not really important. He just says Nick's being reassigned. Yes. The next scene takes place in a French research station in Tahiti. We see a character whose name we don't get for a while. He's played by Jean Renault, who I only know him from Leon the Professional, but I know he's a pretty prolific actor. Yeah, Jean Renault. Okay, when I looked up Jean Renault, he is a French actor, obviously. What? Um, but he's been in French, English, Japanese, Spanish, and Italian films. That's so cool. He's cool. He's most famous for Leon the Professional, but he was also... I chose movies I know, which means movies that don't have a French title, so I probably ignored things he's actually most famous for. But to me, he's most famous for Leon the Professional, Pink Panther... He's also in The Da Vinci Code. I haven't seen The Da Vinci Code, but he's in it. And one of the Mission Impossible movies? I feel like there's going to be somebody who's like a uh, Jean Reno fan who's like, you chose Pink Panther? I chose movies I knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we meet this character. Later, he'll be named as Philippe Roche. Philippe Roche. But he goes nameless for a while. He comes in and he's interviewing the sole survivor of the boat attack that we saw in the one of the previous scenes. Yeah. He asks him what he saw. The guy just doesn't, just stares. And then he pulls out a lighter with a really big flame mm-hmm. and waves it back and forth and asks him again what he saw. Just I don't know how that helps. Snap him out of his his traumatic shock. I guess I could see that, like, if you have, like, a new thing to be worried about. Sure. Kind of like, I don't know, when you slap somebody to kind of shake them out of it. I don't know. Um, He moves it back and forth, and he says, what did you see? The old man just says, Gojira. Yep. Over and over. Yep. Well, at least a few times, and then they cut the scene. They at least, I would say this is maybe the only respectful thing they did, (laughs) was they had a Japanese person pronounce the name for the monster before the rest of the movie happens so the next scene is in panama nick is brought to this research site there's a lot of military people around he's introduced to 
the military guy who's in charge named Colonel Anthony Hicks. Yep, Colonel Hicks. Colonel Hicks played by Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn is a great character actor. He's in a lot. He's in so much. So much stuff. But, again, things that I know. <laughs> uh, he is in Small Soldiers, which I don't think I ever watched, but I was obsessed about still when I was... That's right around the same time as this movie. Uh, he was in Small Soldiers. He's in the Transformer series. He's in Veep. He's in True Detective. He's in whole bunch of stuff and he is i think the only person who is in both this movie and the animated series that takes place after this movie he comes back and plays the same character as a voice actor in that movie oh interesting which is i i approve i appreciate that for a movie actor to become a voice actor for a, a role yeah, and I thought his, he was good. Like, I had no complaints about his role. Yeah, he's one of the best actors in the movie, for sure. <laughs> so he meets Colonel Anthony Hicks, who's not very talkative. He's walking him through the site and not really telling him anything. He walks him through this, like, dig site-looking thing, and Nick's babbling at him. Uh, oh, he's the first one who m- mispronounces. No, he's the second. He's the I think second the one who mispronounces, guy, yeah. He's the second guy already who mispronounces Nick's name in the two scenes he's been in. Yeah. I'll talk about exactly why that bothers me in just a little bit. Okay. And he's babbling at him saying, I'm just a biologist for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I don't know why I'm here. I don't do nuclear spills. That's not my specialty. He's like, I know. And here's your specimen. And, the guy, and Nick looks down and he's in a giant footprint yep again nobody in the area is using any protective equipment there's geiger counters going off all over the place but everybody's just in like regular clothes touching things with their bare hands he's also in this scene introduced to the two other people that are basically on his team for the movie as far as um the other research scientists so he's introduced to elsie chapman who is introduces his boss she is of the national institute of paleontology i'm assuming she must have a phd or something but they don't ever give her a title and she never really says anything of import other than talking about a dinosaur once she does at the end have a role she that anyone could have filled but she has a role at some point in the movie sure uh she is played by vicky lewis who I guarantee you don't know. <laughs> Vicki Lewis is most well-known, I would say, for being on the news radio show slash sitcom news radio. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that was mid, mid-90s. mid It was 95 to 99. So she was still on news radio at the time, uh, I assume. I don't think she... I don't remember much about news radio. I assume she was still on it. But she was also in, like, I don't know, Mouse Hunt. There's not, she's not a big movie personality. Here, her main job is to be the woman who fawns over Nick. Because she immediately, she writes him off and then she looks at him. And then she does this really long, drawn-out, eyeing him up and down thing. Ooh. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> and she immediately says that she doesn't think he should be there. And then we also meet Dr. Craven, who doesn't get a title or anything. We don't even get a first name for him. He's just Dr. Craven. No. So, uh, he's the other 
scientist on the team, he's he's kind of portrayed as a gross character. He's mm. slightly overweight. He's has a cold, so he's like snorting and he like sneezes into his hand or something or coughs into his hand, goes to shake Nick's hand. So he's kind of this like schlubby guy on the team. Him having a cold is his only personality trait. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't even have it the whole time. Yeah. These two characters are not played by the same actors, but these two characters are two of our main characters in the cartoon. So they actually do get more characterization later, but we don't see that. And then the last thing that happens in the scene is they see a film of the cannery boat that was attacked mm-hmm. and the man being interviewed. So they get to see the tape of what we know so far. Sure. They get caught up. Yeah, exactly. Then we skip over to New York, and this is the only one where we haven't got a little placard saying where we're at. Nope, because you know New York. Everyone knows New York. It's New York! This scene focuses on Audrey, who's the woman in the photos with Nick that he had in his car. Audrey is a assistant to a news anchor, and she bends over backwards for him. He's a real jerk. His name is Mr. Kamen, or Charles Kamen. Mm-hmm. She really bends over backwards to him because she really wants to be a reporter herself. So she does everything from getting his laundry to, you know, holding his bag. In this scene, she's asking him, when am I going to get a chance to move up? I'd only want to be in this position if I have a chance to become a reporter. And he asks her to dinner at her place. And she's like, but Mr. Kamen, you're married. He's like, so? So he's really set up as the the jerk he he's portrayed as very short so in the same scene he meets a new news anchor who he's working with and right before they go on he's like can i get a pillow or a box or something because the other news anchor who's a woman is really tall so right before they go on he like hoists himself up on his chair by his arms and you know there's just a lot of making fun of people for their physical appearance yep there's a lot of I think we said this a lot when we were watching. Every single person in this movie is a stereotype of something. <laughs> um, and that, for the more negative depictions of characters, like, their their negative personalities are reflected in their physical bodies, and that sucks. Charles Kamen, who I think I also said during the movie, I wish all the characters were named after lizards, because I think that would be <laughs> a fun... Um, Charles Kamen is played by Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer is a fantastic comedian, comedian, comic actor. Anyway, he's a funny guy. He (laughs) was on SNL. He is in This Is Spinal Tap, which is fantastic. He's in A Mighty Wind, which is another fake fake documentary by the same people. But he's mostly known for The Simpsons. He is also in The Simpsons. I don't. I would say that he is potentially. Well known in both situations. I would say because The Simpsons is still going on, it's still current. So. Sure. I don't know if he still is a voice actor on The Simpsons. He might be. Anyway, he's famous on The Simpsons for playing Mr. Burns. Principal Skinner. Principal Skinner. Uh, Mr. Smithers. Flanders. He, he plays a lot of people. And the last little credit that I have is that he was also in The Truman Show, although I don't remember him being in The Truman Show. I barely remember The Truman Show, and I feel like we only watched that a few years ago. Yeah. Basically, what I want to say is, you, person listening, you have seen Harry Shearer in something. You may not know it, but you've seen him in something. So, 
This is just our introdu- introduction to Audrey and her situation. Oh, I guess I should talk about her. It's going to go real fast. Uh, Audrey is played by Maria Patillo. Maria Patillo? I don't know how she pronounces her last name. And this is the only movie that I know of. Like, this is her only big credit. It seems like this movie kind of killed her career. Well, her character, not I'm not saying the actress was yeah. bad. Her character was by far my least favorite part of the movie. And we'll get into that as the movie progresses. Yeah. She's yeah. got a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems. So we're going, we're jumping back over to Nick. We're in the Great Pedro Bluff in Jamaica. So we're in Jamaica. Yep. Elsie is, again, blatantly hitting on Nick on the way to examine a destroyed ship on the beach. She's asking, oh, so does Mrs. Totopolis mind you working out here? And, yeah, very blatant. Yeah. Which is kind of sexual harassment since she's his his boss. boss. (laughs) They get to the side of the ship and they meet the... uh, they meet Philippe Roche, who we don't know his name yet, again. Jean Renault. We meet Jean Renault, <laughs> who is there with his team taking pictures. Colonel Hicks walks up to him and asks him what he's doing there. So he introduces himself. He says he's from La Rochelle Casualty and Property Insurance. And Colonel Hicks <laughs> says, yeah, well, you're in the way, so leave. Get out of here. And he calls him Mr. Roach. And I don't know if he's... Did I miss him saying his name? No. Or is it making fun of the fact that he's from a uh, insurance company called La Rochelle? Or I don't is know. It, or is it an error? Or that. But he calls him Mr. Roach. And the only other big thing that happens in the scene is when Nick is kind of looking around, he notices a lot of canned fish on the ground. Yep. A clue. In the eastern seaboard, there's some fishing trolleys that they're just going about their business. When suddenly they're not moving forward anymore. So they assume something's caught in the net. They try to pull it up and it just won't come up. And then the net pulls all the boats under. Mm -hmm. So they're all like jumping off the ship as the ships are being pulled into the water. And then the ship comes bobbing back up. Or ships. I think this is a fun scene. Yeah, I like this scene. It's one of the best scenes in the movie in my opinion. It definitely builds the mystique of the monster really well. Yeah. And he is a water monster. I don't know. I don't know about a lot of the Godzillas up to this point because we jump around a lot. Do we get a lot of these water scenes? Because I feel like in the first one, they don't even show the attack, right? They just say boat attacked. Yeah, not really. It Partially because with a suit, it's hard to do a lot of water stuff. He'll, he'll, he fights some sea monsters and stuff. And there's a few quote-unquote underwater scenes that are just kind of slowed down and have a blue filter on them. (laughs) Um, But no, you don't really see a lot of Godzilla underwater before this movie. And even in this scene, you don't see him. Yeah. But it's really cool because he is, he lives in the water. So it's really cool that we get a water attack that we actually get to see. Yeah. I think that's the best part of using CG for Godzilla is you get to see him you have more flexibility. Yeah, you get to see him in his element. Because yeah. supposedly he is a, a sea monster. Yeah. So back with Nick and the scientists and the military. Nick's crew. Elsie has a proposal that she thinks that this is a... And she calls it a Theropoda Allosaurus. 
that means nothing. I want everyone to know that's not how dinosaurs are named. Like, a theropod is just a type of dinosaur that is like a bipedal carnivore, like a T-Rex or an Allosaurus. And then she says an Allosaurus. So she's saying it's an Allosaurus, which is not anything like what this monster is. It's, I just, it's, obviously they just threw some dinosaur-y sounding words together. If you can't tell, Andrew was also one of those dinosaur kids. I was, and I'm getting back into it. <laughs> I feel like there's probably a big overlap because they kind of fill the same. Yeah, absolutely. They have a lot of the same fan base. Absolutely. Nick disagrees with Elsie Theory. He thinks it's too big. He thinks that the radiation isn't a coincidence. It's a clue. It's not that he's radiated because he was in nuclear testing areas. He thinks the nuclear testing created a new species. Sure. And he compares it to his worms because he was talking about how his worms have, the worms he's been studying due to the radiation in the area have grown 20% bigger or something like that. So he's comparing the rapid size growth to his worm project. This is not the first movie to make up that radiation makes things big. So I'm I'm not going to complain about it. (laughs) It's fine. So we're bouncing back and forth, mostly between Nick and his crew and Audrey and her friends. That's really going to be the pattern, so you're going to hear me skip around a lot. We go back over to New York, and this time it does get a little a location title, mm-hmm. but it titles it The City That Never Sleeps. Just so... It's so cutesy. It's so full of itself. I, I, I'll come back to that. I have thoughts. <laughs> so Audrey's at a diner with her friends. There's her co-worker, Lucy Pilotti, who you don't get her name for a bit, and her husband, who's also another co-worker. They all work together in the news. Um, Victor is a cameraman, and I don't know what Lucy does. She sits next to Audrey in a cubicle. Audrey's with her friends. Mostly Victor's called Animal. The only one who calls him Victor is Lucy. His, his wife, Lucy, so I'll mostly be calling him Animal. They're lecturing her for being too nice. Yep. And then Lucy says she doesn't have what it takes. Yep. Which is just such a terrible thing to say as a friend. It's a bad friend. So they're just be they're putting her down. They're saying she's never going to be a reporter. She's too nice. And then Audrey notices on TV, on the news, she sees Nick in the background of some news broadcast. And she says, oh, that's my college sweetie. So yeah. we're establishing the connection. Their connections, yeah. Can I talk about Animal? Hmm? Uh, Animal is placed placed. <laughs> Animal is played by uh, Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria is another person you've heard. He's in The Simpsons. He plays uh, Mo. He used to play Apu before they started getting actual people of color to play the people of color in The Simpsons. Uh, he plays Chief Wiggum, comic book guy. He plays a lot of characters. Uh, he also has been in a few movies. Have you ever seen Mystery Men? I don't think so. Mystery Men's a weird 90s superhero movie where they all the superheroes have weird powers. And I think he's the guy... I could be wrong about this. I think he's the guy who his quote-unquote power is that he has his dad's skull inside a bowling ball and he throws people... <laughs> he throws the bowling ball at people. What? I don't fully remember that movie. It's weird. Uh, he's also the villain in Night at the Museum 2. I did see that, but I don't remember. Is that the one with the mummy? Uh-huh. Okay. 
And he's also, I don't know, he's in some episodes of Friends. He's really good at body humor. He has some yeah. really good, like, facial expressions, and he has good reactions to things in this movie. I would say that I am totally okay with him in this movie. Yeah, he, he did a good job. So, in a different part of New York, there's this old man who's going out to fish on a dock, and people are making fun of him, saying, you're not going to catch anything. Yeah. So, he goes up to the end of the dock, and he catches something, and he's like, oh, it's real big, and he starts reeling it in, and everyone's like, what'd you get, what'd you get? And then, so it's kind of revealed in pieces. You see in the far off distance, like a while away. I don't know how he caught this thing so far away. (laughs) But you see like something really big kind of breaching the water a little bit. And then he, you know, sees something big coming at him. So he runs. And this is where we start seeing pieces of Godzilla other than like his teeth and claws for the first time. Yeah. So we get little pieces. We see like a foot. We see a shot of his tail. Yeah. And we see ships, small ships and debris raining down as he gets out of the water and starts moving into the city. His spines. Yeah. It's kind of like a slow reveal, which they do a lot. I feel like in Toho movies, that's similar. Sure. And the, the only really other thing that stuck out in this scene is there's a semi-driver who had, like, earbuds in, wasn't paying attention, until Godzilla picks up the semi by the back of the truck and shakes it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of effect scenes in this movie that I really, really like, and this is one of them. And every time that I go, oh, that was a really good effect scene, and I look it up, or I, you know, you look really hard at it or whatever... All the ones I really, really like are practical. This Godzilla isn't a dude in a suit, but there is a puppet Godzilla in this movie. Yeah, and I think something they learned from things like Jaws or um, Jurassic Park is the things that stand up over time is practical effects. That's why well, things Jaws like... Jaws was way before CG, so they didn't really have a choice with Jaws. Okay. Things like... Jurassic. Jurassic Park or Lord of the Rings, the things that are practical really hold up over time. Yes, I definitely agree. So this is our first introduction to Godzilla. Uh, Godzilla, now, in this movie, hard to tell what pronouns to use for Godzilla. And we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. They always refer to him as a he in the movie, so I'm probably going to accidentally do that, but... I think it probably would be better to call Godzilla by they, them pronouns, but it doesn't, Godzilla's not going to get offended. Godzilla. What, what to say? This Godzilla is lovingly, question mark, referred to by fans as either Zilla, Godzilla without the god, or um, Gino, Godzilla in name only. Um, <laughs> I like that one a lot. <laughs> They, there's a lot of, like, arguments that you'll see online of people going, that's not a real Godzilla. Toho calls it Zilla in some stuff. And Toho does occasionally refer to this as Zilla instead of Godzilla. But this is a, an official Toho Godzilla. They approved the design before the movie came out. Really? Yes. Really? They weren't happy with it. (laughs) And we'll talk about that. But they did approve it. it, like, this is an official Godzilla. There's no, you can't back out of that. Godzilla was designed 
by one Patrick Totopoulos. Oh. Does that name sound familiar to you? They're making fun of the guy who designed the Godzilla? Yeah. That's why I keep getting upset. Like, already the jokes about them not being able to pronounce Nick's name are pretty xenophobic in general. Like, you've got a funny name. Puppetopolis. Whatever. But when you realize that they named this character after the guy who made Godzilla as a way to, like, honor him in the movie, and then spend the whole movie making fun of his name? Yeah. That's that's so messed up. That's really gross. I feel so bad for that guy. Uh, Patrick Totopoulos worked on a lot of films. He's a, a big monster designer in Hollywood. He worked on the monster designs for Pitch Black. Oh, cool. For Underworld. For... 300. Is he the one whose daughter is the host of Face Off? And he also has been a host on Face Off, yes. Yeah, that's my touchstone. (laughs) (laughs) I love Face Off. There is a credit for who plays Godzilla in this movie, the puppeteer. Um, And there is a little bit of guy in suit action in this movie, just a tiny bit. So he is credited as being played by Kurt Carley, who has played other monsters most famously werewolves in Underworld, in the Underworld series. But I see the lope is kind of the same. Sure, yeah. More interesting to me is he also has some voice credits, Godzilla does. Uh, Scott Gershon, Frank Welker, and Gary Hecker all together played Godzilla's voice. Did they just like use their voices to create the roar? Mm-hmm. Frank Welker, uh, the keen-eyed listeners will know Keen-eyed listeners? <laughs> Keen-eared viewers. Uh, anyway. That doesn't work either. I know. Uh, Frank Welker is maybe the most prolific voice actor of all time. He has done so much. I can't even possibly go into his credits. But the fact that he did Godzilla's Roar in this movie is very weird and fun. It's just, just a fun little thing to toss in there. I didn't dislike the Roar. It's different. In... It's just a monster Roar. Yeah. Like, it has the Godzilla sound to it, which is all that super matters. I, it's not, it's maybe my least favorite Godzilla roar, but that's But the, I think that the use of it was okay, too. Sure. There's definitely some where they use it every few seconds, and you're like, okay, we yeah. get it. No, I agree. Uh, that's all, I think oh, that's all I wanted to say. Okay, so this is our first kind of getting an idea of what Godzilla looks like. Yeah, definitely... We know that Godzilla is definitely thinner than other appearances. Yes. We're also in, I would say it's kind of the same scene. We jump to a little slightly further away part of New York. We meet Mayor Ebert, who's being introduced by his assistant, who the only name we have for him is Gene, and we don't get it until much later. There, um, he's just giving a speech. He's up for re-election, and he, you know, he holds up the thumbs up, and everyone has signs that say, Thumbs up for Mayor Ebert, which is a weird slogan. So this is a pretty mean series. Like this character, these set two characters are pretty mean joke that's in the movie. Um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're familiar with them, but Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel were slash are. I think Gene is still alive, Gene Siskel. Um, were big film critics in the mid-90s and early 2000s. Film critics in general are not as big now as they used to be, but 
Like, they had a lot of sway over what movies people went and saw. Yeah, well, now you can look up reviews online, right? Exactly. You can just go to Red Tomato. You can just go to Rotten Tomato or right. IMDb and see people's reviews who actually went and saw the movie. Right. And I'd say most people pay more attention to the audience score <laughs> as opposed to the critic score anyway. Yeah, but, like, movies are expensive to go to, and you don't want to go to a bad one. And so you rely on people who have spent their money. What is that quote from Gravity Falls? Well, that's three hours closer to death. <laughs> exactly. So you don't you don't want to spend your money on a movie that's bad. So you listen to people who have seen the movie and can that you respect. So for a lot of people in the '90s, Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert were that, and they gave a pretty bad review of. Uh, Stargate, which came out right before Godzilla, and which Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich directed slash produced. So, as a way to, like, needle them and pointedly make fun of them in their movie, they made these characters Mayor Ebert, for Roger Ebert, and Assistant Gene instead of Gene Siskel. And their big thing was they always gave movies a thumbs up or a thumbs down, so there's a lot of Thumbs up jokes whenever Mary Ebert's around. They saw this movie and they were aware. And uh, Siskel called out the inclusion of these characters in his extremely negative review of Godzilla and said, Why place us in the movies if you aren't going to have us eaten or squashed by the monster? <laughs> Which I appreciate. What a good line. It's a good response. <laughs> yes. So he's just doing a, um, a rally for his reelection campaign. When the ground starts rumbling and things start shaking a little bit in, like, kind of footstep patterns. And then Godzilla comes crashing into the scene. Godzilla's tearing through New York. We cut over to Mr. Kamen, who's the news anchor, Aubrey's boss, the the jerk. <laughs> He's on the phone with somebody. I think it's somebody at his producing company. Complaining that there's no good stories. And all the stories are... Wars in some country whose name I can't even pronounce, quote unquote. Yeah, he's a bad person, this character. And it's it's a comedy scene. He's facing inward on the building and complaining about no good stories as Godzilla comes rampaging behind him. Mm -hmm. And the other woman in the room, a secretary or something, says, Sir, I think your story just walked behind you and he looks around and or just went just passed by, something yeah. like that. He looks behind him and there's nothing and then just as he turns back, the tail of Godzilla kind of flicks past the window. And the other weird thing about the scene, Barney, the dinosaur, is mm -hmm. on the TV in the background. I don't know why. There's no children in the room. It's a dinosaur in a... It's a person in a dinosaur costume. I think it's a pointed joke at how stupid old Godzilla movies were. Great. <laughs> That's a theory. I don't have anything to prove that, but... I don't know why else it would be on. There was no reason to have a kid show on in the room. Yeah. Cutting over to Audrey. She is telling her friends about her ex. I think they're still in the diner at this point. They are. And she says his name. And they're like, oh, is that why you broke up with him? Ha ha ha. <laughs> this name of the person who made the monster in the movie. And all we know about their relationship at this point is they dated for four years in college. And he proposed. And that's kind of where... And then she gets cut off by Godzilla going crashing by the diner. Yeah. And I do like that. Um, I kind of like 
we're jumping around the city and the thing tying all these scenes together is Godzilla moving from place to place. So yeah. we're kind of jumping around with Godzilla. Yeah, you'll hear me complain about this Godzilla not being a good Godzilla a few times, but I like this monster. He's got good like mobility to him. And that is a lot of its, like, personality, and we're seeing that here. It's moving from scene to scene in a, a, a fun way. I was just thinking, I like the transitions between scenes. Yeah. I think that it's well done. And it, I would say it has some good levity. It's just the jokes they choose aren't great. Agreed. <laughs> I like the tone of the movie. It's just they could have gone about it in a more respectful way. Sure. You don't agree? Um, I, I like the idea of a comedic Godzilla movie. I've seen this movie way more times than I should, and it gets worse every time you watch it. So, Oh, I believe you. <laughs> I just, I like the idea of a comedic Godzilla movie. I do too. I don't think it was executed super well, but there's some good elements to this movie that I, I have, pull out. I have yet to see, I haven't seen a lot of the comedy kaiju movies that are out. I've seen only a couple. Um, my problem with a lot of comedy being injected into kaiju movies is that they're often making fun of the genre yeah um and this is a rant you go on occasionally about the best way to do a parody is uh, a good parody or, I, I don't know if this is trying to be a parody but a good parody of well you brought up comedy yeah kaiju movies so that's i thought a good transition a good parody movie should be one that understands the genre a good parody movie is also a good example of the genre that it's a part of and while this isn't trying to be a parody it is trying to inject humor into a genre that is not a comedy genre like cabin in the woods is a fantastic horror movie and it's also a fantastic parody of horror movies because it understands and it respects the genre that it's talking about. This movie doesn't really do any of that. And if you don't do that, if you're making a parody movie without making it, without centering it in what makes that genre that genre, then you're just making fun of something that you're not a part of. You're just sitting on the outside laughing at people who are inside of that group or that, that genre. So Godzilla just ran by the diner. Victor grabs his camera, which... Oh, he's in his car outside, so he has a reason to have it on him. He goes out to his, the van outside, grabs his camera, and goes running after Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, somehow he gets in front of Godzilla. Godzilla's kind of making a winding route. It's not He's not going in a one well, but, direction. Yeah, so. but if Victor's, or if Animal's following him, I don't know how he ended up in front. Like, he didn't know how to predict the path. Anyway, he ends up in front of him somehow. It's New York! I don't know. (laughs) And he is filming Godzilla as he's getting closer and closer. And you think he's about to get stepped on. And then it turns out he lands right between the toes. Yeah, this is a fun visual. Yeah, I liked it. It was a good scene. Yeah. I think a lot of the scenes with Animal are some of my favorite scenes. Definitely. So... Nick and his team are now landing at a command center in New Jersey as they're evacuating New York. We meet Sergeant O'Neill, who I think in my second viewing of this movie, because we did watch it twice before we recorded, I like him a little bit more than I did the first time. Um, Sergeant O'Neill is kind of the the man in charge on the ground. So 
Colonel Hicks is overseeing the whole operation. Sergeant O'Neill is going to be the one who goes out in the field and makes the decisions there. He's the guy in charge in the field. So Sergeant O'Neill is giving Colonel Hicks just a breakdown of what's going on so far. He's catching him up. And he has a very pronounced stutter Mm -hmm. throughout the whole movie. And at first I was really, I didn't like how much they brought it in. It's kind of like a really, really exaggerated stutter. Sure. And I feel like if you have moved up in the military enough, it's not like you can't have a stutter, but I feel like a lot of that is going to get trained out of you. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with having a stutter in the military. It just feels like something that when you're on the job, it's easier to turn to focus and it's you've trained enough that it shouldn't sure. be as pronounced when you're working. But at the same time, I don't think they really made fun of it for him. That's for what it. I was going to say. He was very competent throughout the movie. Yeah. And they, they never once make fun of his stutter, which... Nobody brings it up is other this... than this is the only scene where they do something about it, though. Hmm. When he is saying something to Nick and Elsie, they just totally ignore him and walk past. So in this scene, okay. they basically are saying if you have a stutter, you're not authoritative and therefore shouldn't be listened to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not great. I, I don't know. I I dig him for some reason like i like sergeant o'neill like as a character he's cool i don't know how i don't like how they represented somebody having a stutter sure it's definitely way over the top it is but i would say that this is probably not a normal day of work yes i can see that (laughs) like and he only stutters when he's talking to people he doesn't know or hicks his direct supervisor like only in very stressful situations when he's talking Near the end of the movie, he says a couple things, like, to himself in relief, and he's perfectly fine. Like, And Hicks never says anything about it. And Hicks never it. says anything about it. And, in fact, Hicks has a lot of respect for him by the end of the movie. Like, it's it's the one time where they don't take the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> so, I, I had a problem with it the first time I saw it, but on a second playthrough, I'm, I'm more okay with it. Yeah. I think it's not perfect. Yes. But it's definitely... <laughs> One of the least offensive characters somehow. Absolutely. But yeah, this this uh, scientific team just walking by him as he's trying to tell them something is just kind of... That was the one time I was really uncomfortable with how they treated that character. Sure. So Audrey sees on the a television screen Nick landing in New Jersey. So she thinks this is like her chance. She goes up to her boss and she tells Cayman that she can get an inside scoop because she knows a guy on the inside. And he says something just super misogynistic again. Yeah. yeah. Something like, this is when the boys go to work. Something like that. I think he literally says that. And so she ends up stealing his press badge. Mm-hmm. Because she carries his bag everywhere. He always keeps it on his bag. Mayor Ebert is on a, a helicopter, I think, or a plane. I think it's a helicopter. It's a helicopter. Mayor Ebert is in a helicopter with his assistant, and they're landing amongst a bunch of press and he's like i don't want to meet with these guys and gene's like these are the people who are paying for your campaign you have to meet with them yeah and he they established that he likes candy or chocolate or something yeah i don't know what that's about i don't know if that's a reference to the real um ebert and siskel 
or if it's like a oh you know what it is what okay this is a thing i read about just recently roland emmerich had a lot of trouble with quitting smoking and he in every movie that he makes he has a character who's going through the process of quitting smoking as a way to reflect that and i was like but that's not true in this movie there's no one quitting smoking I wonder if that's what it is. That's so interesting. I wouldn't have picked up on that, but I wonder if somebody who has quit smoking would pick up on that. Yeah. Because he's like, anytime he's stressed, Gene offers him candy or chocolate or something. Yeah. And I know that people will replace cigarettes with things like gum or stuff like that. Yeah. So that makes sense. I, I That was me literally putting those dots <laughs> together right then, so... I'm very curious if that's true. Yeah, that'd be interesting if it was. And I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. But um, he's stressed and Gene offers him candy or chocolate or something. Um, they land on the ground and Philippe is there amongst the crowd and he goes up and shakes his hand and put his hand, his other hand on the mayor's back and he puts a bug there mm-hmm. as he's saying um, he's from La Rochelle Insurance. He represents a large portion of the buildings in his constituency and they have his um and the mayor has their support sure so he's just using it as an excuse to bug him mm-hmm. by bug i mean plant a listening device yes not well, pester and annoy him <laughs> we get a quick scene of cayman trying to get onto the scene to film and they don't let him on because he doesn't have his press badge and he says well, it should be right here on my bag so they don't let him through and then back with Philippe. So we're starting to learn a little bit more about him. We watch this man with a bag of donuts walk into a UPS truck and it's this stakeout truck. It's got like monitors and things like that and there's probably like three or four men inside. Um, There's five. I think there's there's five of them total. There's a lot of French stereotypes specifically in this scene alone. It's throughout (laughs) the movie but so he brings in and he's passing out coffee and donuts to everyone and Philippe goes, what, no croissants? And the guy's like, no, it's America. Yeah. And then there's an ongoing bit where Philippe hates all the coffee he's given in this movie. Yep. I Like, there's a, it's a, a thing you do, in, especially in, in American uh, action movies, is you get, you give each character a quirky thing that is like a running joke. And sometimes I get really annoyed by them. Sometimes I think they're very fun. It kind of just depends. I totally dig Jean Reno's constant uh, hunt for good coffee in America. I'm totally... I, I thought it was cute. That's fine. It's just the whole thing is very like a French stereotype. But it is definitely... Like, looking down on American culture. It is definitely that. Wanting a croissant. <laughs> like, this and is also, very like... Who doesn't sell croissants? Also, let me read the names of the French oh, yeah. characters that we do know. Because we only get the names of four of them. There's, I think there's five, there's but five. we only get the names of four. Let me pull them up because we don't get them until much later. Okay, so the names are Philippe Roche. Yep. Which is the leader. Jean Renault. Jean Renault. And then the people on his team are Jean-Philippe, Jean-Pierre, <laughs> and Jean-Luc. And yep. an unnamed character. Jean-Paul, probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, it's just the most stereotype of a French name. Yep. 
they all are Jean dash something except for the lead guy. But these are they seem all like actually French actors. Yeah. And Jean Renaud's like has enough sway. I would think that he would have a problem with this, but I guess not. I would say a lot of our issues with this movie come from the fact that it's 1998. It's a pre-9/11 world. It's we're in the middle of an economic boom. We're sitting high as far as like America feels like it's king of the crop. And it was just real cool at the time to be kind of xenophobic. I would say I'm not sure if that has changed, but <laughs> it definitely was very common at the time to just make jokes about other countries. Yeah, it I don't know if this is just because my awareness has changed since the 90s, you know, since I was five. I, I left the 90s at the age of seven, so yeah. that tells you how old I am. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because of my awareness of the world is changing, and I grew up in a very conservative household. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this is more my own experience, but it feels like American culture in general is more aware of insensitivities I would say that there are parts of the country that that's the case. In general. And I just, I'm just saying aware of, sure. not necessarily that we've made steps to change it. Sure. But I think the population in general, the percentage of the population sure. uh, that's aware of being insensitive to other groups yeah. is growing. But like I said, that could just be from my own perspective because I became more aware of that yeah. as I got older. Yeah. Could be a little column A, a little column B. So we're starting to learn more about what the French guys are doing there. We already knew they weren't actually insurance people. Yes, yeah. But we're kind of starting to get a look at what the, what they're doing. Meanwhile, Colonel Hicks is telling the mayor that... So the mayor is insisting that he wants to end the evacuation. He wants to look good. It's apparently election month. So we're in election season. Sure. And he wants to look good, so he's like, we need to end the evacuation. You guys can't find him. He's certainly, he's definitely, um, and Mayor Hicks is saying, sorry, Colonel Hicks is saying, they don't think Godzilla left the city, but they don't know where he is. Yeah. I don't know how they lost a kaiju. <laughs> Even a fast-moving one. Like, my thought is, we track car chases, like, we always know where our car chase is. He's fast. He's smaller than the buildings. He burrows. He swim. Like well, We don't know the burrowing part yet. Sure, but. but that is a big part of how he got away. So, I don't know how they lost a kaiju, but they did. <laughs> um, they don't think he left into the waterways, and they want to check to make sure, because he could be hiding in a building. Sure. Is their idea. And the mayor just keeps saying, but you're not sure. Mm-hmm. No, that's why we want to check. I feel like it would look worse not extending the evacuation and then having a bunch of people murdered. But while they're having this conversation, O'Neill comes in, Sergeant O'Neill comes in to report a problem. Then we jump over to see what the problem is. Yeah. Godzilla has burrowed into the subway system. So he's a swimming very fast, digs through concrete. Stealthy. Stealthy giant monster yep which is I a cool combination super dig it yeah totally into it maybe not for godzilla but <laughs> <laughs> as a as an idea i love it they say that he 
they found a big hole in an office when they were checking a building in the office floor. Uh huh. But then you look up through the hole and it's clearly to the outside because you see the outside. Yeah, I don't get that. And they aren't on the other side of it because we know that they have to, they very quickly have to start having to look through the tunnels to find him. So they didn't find the other end of the tunnel. So. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's just a weird plot hole. It doesn't super matter. One thing I do that really does bother me throughout the whole movie is none of the military people buckle their helmets. Not a single person. And that would not fly. No. They're not even, like, in a war zone. Like, they're not under stress or anything. Like, I guess you could call it a war zone, but they're not, like, under fire and, like, things happen. This is, like, just nobody buckles it. Yep. What's the point of wearing a helmet if you're not going to buckle it? Yep. I don't know. Really bothered me. (laughs) And you can tell they didn't get any military consultants at all for this movie because there's so many things that are just not done well. Yeah, I would be shocked to find out if they had any military consultation at all. It's just a weird pet peeve of mine throughout the movie. Nobody buckles their helmets. And so they're trying to figure out how are they going to find him if he's now able to burrow through the subway system. How are they going to find him? And Nick proposes, well, he's just an animal, so... Just draw him out like you would with any animal. Yeah. Just find something he needs. So this is what the can of fish they found around the cannery boat is supposed to be hinting at. Is they decide to pile up a giant mound of fish using dump trucks. Which of course the mayor is complaining about. Who authorized sure. it? Yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's just to make that character look ridiculous. Yeah. So they're piling all this these mounds of fish. I'm pretty sure this is Times Square. I am not positive because I have not been to New York. It doesn't... I don't... No. I don't know. I think it's Times Square because I think this was... Remember when they shot and missed? It was... They hit the building. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. One weird thing is they have lights... Like kind of spotlighting the fish, but they also have lights up against the fish circled around it mm-hmm. with the concrete like dividers too. I don't know why they have lights against the fish. They have to make the fish look beautiful. <laughs> and they're just waiting around and nothing's happening and Nick thinks that, oh, we just have to lift the manhole cover so Godzilla can smell the fish. Yeah, that's, makes sense. Why not? I guess. I don't know why that would make the difference. But So they go and they're lifting manhole covers. It's like eight soldiers rushing as a group from manhole cover to manhole cover. It's a little goofy. Yeah. Um, Nick goes to lift one by himself. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, the civilian scientist is going to go do it. (laughs) There's a whole lot of things wrong with this. I don't know why he's even on the scene. No. I don't know. And then, as he lifts it... It's kind of ominous. There's some growling coming out from below the ground there. And then Godzilla, like, breaks out from the ground where Nick was standing yeah. previously. Like, he's backing up as Godzilla's sure. coming out of the ground. And this big crack comes in. And this is actually the first time we get a full look at this design for Godzilla. And there's just this long extended moment of Nick and Godzilla having this very like face-to-face moment and it was just a very toho feeling moment this happens a lot in kaiju movies i think where you have the end in uh, king kong like in just kaiju movies in general you get a lot of times where it's like 
one character having a face-to-face with the giant monster and having, like, this realization, like, we're not so different. Well, it also establishes size. You said face-to-face, and there's a lot of face. (laughs) Um, So, this Godzilla design has some changes, let's say, from a traditional Godzilla design. You know what it reminds me of? There's a little comic of a cartoon dinosaur. Mm-hmm. He like, re- it's like reach for the stars, and he's got the tiny little arms uh-huh. and the huge head. Yep, like the chibi version of a dinosaur. That's what this reminds me of. He's got a of. big head. He's got big feet. He's got big hands. Where to even start? How do you describe this thing? He walks horizontally. Like an actual theropod dinosaur would. Yeah. Like he doesn't drag his tail. He's not, his upper body isn't straight up from the ground because he's not a guy in a suit. Love that. Yeah, That's the fine. tail balances the front half of yeah, the body. Totally fine with that. So one thing that did stand out to me when he was rising up, there is a moment where you get the shot between his like neck and his like hips. Mm-hmm. It just looks like a, a male torso. Yeah, it looks like a person, which I think is a interesting decision that they made it look humanoid at all. And then he has a huge, thick neck. He's got a big, thick neck with, like, jowls hanging off. Not yeah. jowls, but... like a, He has, like, loose skin around the front of the neck like a lizard would. Yeah. Like some lizards would, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say. And then his head. How do you describe his head? All chin. It's just a rectangle. so when a meat eater is trying to get food its teeth parts need to be not in front of but you need easier access to the tooth part than the chin part and his his chin chin sticks sticks out past his teeth and like i don't understand how this thing is supposed to eat anything he kind of reminds me, he kind of has the head of, like, a capybara. He's got a capybara head, yep. You want to take a guess as to what inspired his chin shape? I guarantee you won't be able to guess. Oh no, what is it? Shere Khan from the Jungle Book. What? He's supposed, to, his head is supposed to look like Shere Khan's from the Jungle Book. It doesn't. Like, honestly, he has this pronounced chin. It looks like a chin. If you yeah. just cut that off... He would look fine. Yeah. Like, head-wise. Not the rest of him, but, like... I, I'm fine with the rest of him. They are, There's liberties being taken. It's the head shape, for me, is the one that does it. He's got weird eyes that don't work like any eyes in the animal kingdom. They're brighter They're in the middle. Gold. Yeah, it's weird. It's a very 90s choice to have bright gold CGI's. Honestly, they look like gorilla eyes. Because gorilla eyes are... Black where we have whites, and then their irises are yellow. They kind of look like a real eyes. Uh, the spines are also very different. Godzilla, in every other situation... He has, like, tr- three spines. three sets of spines. Yeah. And then he has two... He has a pair of rows... Or a pair of spines. Uh, and the shape of them is off, but that's fine. They can change the shape of the spines. He is different. Indifferent is bad. <laughs> As this movie is clearly establishing <laughs> in many ways. No, like, a commonly held opinion on the internet, and one that I also have, 
is that this movie would be fine. It'd be good even, maybe, if it wasn't called Godzilla. If they weren't trying to claim that this monster is Godzilla, it'd be fine. Yeah. I like the monster. He's a cool design. He's got cool traits. He's... You know one weird thing, though, about his spines is they curve towards his they head. curve forward, yeah. Which is a weird choice. It, like, would not be very aerodynamic. There's some dinosaurs who had that. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Evolution's weird. But, <laughs> but also, it's supposed to be the first of its kind made by nukes. So, like, the weird biology I can see being a part of that. I don't know. In my head, he's just a head. Like, he's just a head with a little stick figure body. That's why I think he's, like, the little cartoon dinosaur. Yeah. Because the only thing that you really... In the wide shots, you basically get head, and everything else just looks so awkward. Yeah. I mean, the head looks awkward, too, but... We will talk more about things I have problems with, with this monster, but they took a character pretty much known... Purely for being an impossible, an impossibly strong force of nature that cannot be stopped. And they made him tiny. And they made his main characteristic that he's good at running. And stealthy. And he's stealthy. There's no, like, as much as I like the design as a concept, and as much as I like the idea of a lot of the stuff as a concept, there's not any respect for the the original material yeah and that is kind of the source of a lot of the issues well i mean look who's running the show when this movie was originally shown in japan Huro nakajima was there the uh original actor for godzilla he played godzilla throughout the 70s he had to leave partway through he just it was not he did not feel like the character was being respected, and I yeah, absolutely. I think that's very clear. Something that you spent your lifetime dedicated to making this art form, and then you see somebody take it and just basically yeah. But I don't want to be a downer. It's a cool looking monster. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I think could there. There's a lot of things that make it an interesting movie. There's a lot of like nuggets of good ideas in yeah. here. It's just overshadowed by a the fact that it's called Godzilla yep and b all the xenophobia yep (laughs) and stereotypes yep stay tuned for more opinions from me about that later if we renamed it cleaned it up I think you could have a good movie in there definitely I just want to know I just want to put this out there that it's so unfair that you have expertise in dinosaurs Godzilla and animal facts. I have nothing to bring to the table except for my brilliant reactions. Like I said, Nick and Godzilla just had this face-to-face moment. They shared a moment together. And then moments over, Godzilla goes past him to numb on some fish. Mm-hmm. I guess. And then while he's eating, they start firing on him. But all he does is just duck. Yep. He doesn't even have to, like maneuver or anything nope he just ducks and then all of the bullets all of the missiles projectiles projectiles there we go go into the building behind him yeah i'm pretty sure it's Times square it's because they okay i'm gonna look it up 
Uh, the, so it's not Times Square. Again, neither of us have been to New York, so we don't know. Uh, the Have you been to New York? I'm trying to think. I've definitely been to Washington, D.C. when I was like 10. Sure. But and I remember having an I Love New York shirt, but I don't know if I got that in New York or maybe it was in the airport or something like that. We're not experts. Yeah. Um, so it's not Times Square, but it is in front of the Flatiron Building, and the Flatiron Building is the one that gets destroyed. Um, the Flatiron Building is supposedly the first uh, skyscraper. I don't know if it's one of those things where they call it the first skyscraper because it's the first skyscraper in Western civilization or whatever. That happens a lot. Anyway, it's an important building. And it kind of is fitting that it's the first one that, like, the first landmark that gets destroyed. One theme that you'll see throughout this movie is that a bunch of big landmarks in New York get systematically destroyed one by one by the military. Yep. I think the only one Godzilla has destroyed, in my recollection of the movie, and I'll, I'll, as I go through my notes, I'll see, but I'm pretty sure the only one that Godzilla actually destroys is Wall Street at the beginning, when he first comes into the city. Yeah, and he doesn't even ruin many buildings. He sticks to the streets pretty well. Until he disappears, I guess. Didn't they have a building with a giant hole in the middle of it? Yeah. But not yet. We haven't no. seen that yet. Yeah, that has happened because that, that happens, happened. That's going to happen after. These that happened after the mayor's speech. We see a building with a hole in it, and that's when they're looking for Godzilla. And that's why they have to have the revelation that they need to lure him out. Yeah, you're probably right. It, it happens multiple times. Yeah, but the first time we see a giant hole in the center of a building is right after the mayor's speech. You're right. You're right. Anyway, moving on. So they destroy the Flatiron Building. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? Yep. Okay. Also known as the Fuller Building, I believe. Yes, the Fuller Building. And then they go on this helicopter chase through all, like, through New York. So Godzilla's running through the streets of New York, and then he's being chased by, like, five or six helicopters. Three. The three stupidest helicopter pilots. And he's being chased by, like, three helicopters through the streets of New York. Through the streets. So not, like, above the buildings where they're out of reach, or even hit by him. Or even just slightly higher than him. Or higher than the buildings. So you get, like, a bird's eye view instead of the back of his head that you're trying to chase him. I could see that maybe potentially being difficult. What I'm saying is, they're flying at jaw height. <laughs> Why not just slightly higher? At Why the very out least. Out of reach. We haven't seen any type of distance attack at this point. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know about helicopter pilot skills. Maybe somebody listening can correct me, but it just seems like bad tactics from a complete civilian to follow at head level. Yeah. It is. I'm also a civilian, and I can tell you, it's stupid. <laughs> um, so they're firing at him as they're careening through the streets. And they miss him and hit the Chrysler building. So that's the third landmark. Yes. Mayor Ebert, who's listening in, he's like at headquarters, so he's sure. listening to the radio. He is 
obviously very upset that the military destroyed another landmark. And one of the military guys, not not Colonel Hicks, just one of the guys on the radio says, I thought you said you were locked on. And the helicopter pilot says they can't lock on because he's colder than the buildings around him. Sure. I don't know if that's how it works. Well, he should be the same. Cold-blooded animals are just the temperature, roughly the temperature of the environment around them. Well, yes and no. Like, cold-blooded, warm-blooded is not really a thing. It's about how much heat your metabolism generates. But it also is, like, your temperature increases the bigger the animal is. That's why dinosaurs were closer to what we consider warm-blooded instead of cold-blooded so it's like that i knew that's what keeps animals from being able to grow past a certain point because their body puts out so much heat and they don't have enough surface area to volume ratio yeah to be able to bleed off the heat that's why animals can't get past there is a point where animals can't grow beyond yeah so this seems to me like someone heard that lizards are cold-blooded And also heard that there are heat-seeking missiles and went, well, a heat-seeking missile can't hit something cold. And that just doesn't make any sense. I don't know enough about either of those, so I'm going to leave that opinion to you. I just know (laughs) about the the max body heat thing. That's like one of the few things I remember from my biochemistry, I think. So they're still chasing him through the streets. And they come to... They come up on this building... And it's another one where there's just big hole right in the center of it. So the helicopters come up to it and kind of turn so they're looking through the hole. Yeah. And we're hearing some growling and rumbling. It sounds like it's coming from the hole. The yeah. camera doesn't see that because we're getting a side view of this because it's supposed to be like build up. And they just start randomly shooting into this this hole in the building. Yeah. And the camera does pan around so we do see it. And it's just a bunch of dust because they're shooting kicking stuff it. up. And then Godzilla comes breaking through the building behind them. And I think he, doesn't he eat one of them? He, or like, I think he, he smacks one, one. He smacks one with a claw and I think he bites the other. Okay. So it goes after the helicopters from behind. And just the physics of that, they were chasing behind him. And they were pretty close on his tail, literally. Yeah. Um, but he got enough ahead of them, I guess, to not only lose them, but then burrow down under the ground or wrap around somehow. Or jump. Come up through a building. Yeah, I don't know how that works. And also, it's just so stupid. Like, it's a thing that only works if the helicopter pilots can only see what we, the audience, can see. They're constrained by the camera for some reason. Why do they start shooting at literally nothing? Why can't they hear Godzilla roaring from behind them? They can hear Godzilla roaring, but they don't have any directional hearing, apparently. And also, why is Godzilla making so much noise if he's hiding from them? It's just a, just a baffling series of events. Yeah. So then two of them are down. There's one last helicopter. So I guess I could have calculated how many helicopters were left. <laughs> um... <laughs> And he's running from Godzilla. So he's flying through the buildings. Now Godzilla is behind him. Just go up. Never goes up. 
in my in my notes, I was so frustrated. I just wrote, "Helicopter, go up!" <laughs> go <laughs> up! Exclamation mark. <laughs> they just—it's like a car chase with a helicopter who has an extra dimension to work with. Yeah, yeah, it's real, real stupid. <laughs> I mean, it like. It's them realizing that thing that all Godzilla directors have eventually realized, which is Godzilla has a lot of trouble against flying opponents. And instead of them getting creative about it, they just said, well, they won't fly very high. So he eventually catches up with the helicopter and the last helicopter goes down. Yeah. In So we jump forward to the aftermath. Nick is... At the scene of the, I think at the initial attack, he's on one of the scenes and he's scooping up a sample. Like he's using the lid of this test sample. Oh, what is it? What's it called? Vial? No. Um, Petri dish? No. It's like the little sample collectors. Yeah. He's using the lid of one of those like plastic sample collectors, like the urine catches, sure. to scoop some goop up into the. I think it's blood. I think we learn later this is blood. Yeah, it definitely is something that came off of him when they shot him. Yeah, it looked like pink and squishy, but yeah. he's like scooping this gum looking stuff into a sample thing container with his bare hands. Yep. He was trained in the hard, rough life of worms in Chernobyl, man. He doesn't need no safety net. <laughs> um, they have a shot of Cayman reporting on the news saying that. He doesn't have any new updates because the military's declared a media blackout. And my question is, I don't know if this is actually because the military's declared a media blackout because, you know, either they don't want to cause a panic. Sure. Or, you know, they're really messed up. So they're trying to kind of keep it under wraps for now. Or if it's maybe he's calling it a media blackout because earlier he wasn't allowed on scene because he didn't have his press badge. It's a blackout for him. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if he's trying to like, you know, make it seem like it's not his fault that he doesn't have any good news. Yeah. So if it is that, I think it's kind of funny. I do too. I love that. So Nick goes to a convenience store and he's buying a ton of pregnancy tests. He's looking specifically, he says, he wants any pregnancy test that tests for, I think he said, gonadotropic hormones. I think that's what he said. You just, that wasn't even written in your notes. That just was right off the top of the dome. I don't remember what it's called. Okay. But still, I'm impressed that you got even close to what it could have been. Well, I need to look it up now. Because this is something I should know. Since this is... Reproductive health? Yeah, where, you know, I worked in reproductive health for a few years, so I should know this one. Okay, so I did know that they test for beta HCG. They they usually test for beta HCG. What that stands for is human cryonic gonadotrophin. So I think gonadotrophic hormone is the correct term. So I think I did remember that correctly. But I did know that it tests for beta HCG. So he's looking for this specific type of birth control thing. But, not birth control. Or not birth control. He's looking for the specific kind of pregnancy test. But wouldn't all pregnancy tests test for that? I mean, 
it's possible that's not the case. I don't know. Just mm. the ones we used in our lab were for beta HCG, and I know that's the common one. So the lady at the counter just says, I don't know, this is what we got. Because it's just some random, like, quickie mark kind of place. It's yeah. not like a, a pharmacy or anything. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I'll take them all. And Audrey, this is where she catches up to him because she wants to get her exclusive. She says, like, wow, that's some harem you got there. Yeah. What a weird thing to say to somebody that you haven't seen for, what do they say, 10 years or something like that? Eight something years? Like that. She's breaking the ice. I guess. Um, so he's a little shell-shocked to see her. Not as surprised as you would think, though. He's yeah. just like, oh, Audrey. Weird. He gets a little stuttery. Sure. So they walk out, and she asks if he's still mad. And apparently what happened, so so far we knew that they dated for four years in college, and then she he proposed. She asks if she, he's still mad because apparently she just ghosted him. She just disappeared. Yeah, after he proposed. This is our our main female lead, everybody. And how long have we been together? Like, Four or five years? Coming up, coming up to five years, something like that. Yeah, that's like me just walking out on you without a word at this point. Yeah. I mean, granted, we're actually married, so it's a little bit more involved than it's that. It's a little, little different. But still, that's... Still messed up. The first thing you ask is if they're still mad. And he says, well, yeah, you just walked out on me. Yeah, I'm, I'm mad. He's like, well, it's been eight years. Okay. Yeah, and you haven't, we haven't talked to each other in that time. You haven't done anything to make me not mad at you. He's, she's like, people change. She's like, they don't usually. Why is that the factor? It's not whether or not you change. The fact that you did something terrible to him. I don't care if you've changed as a person. Good for you. I still have a right to be mad just because you've turned your life around. Yeah. This, which we don't even know that. This is actually something that um dean devlin one of the or the other part of the pair from roland emmerich he was a producer he also helped write the film he talked about after the movie came out he talked about how he knew that there were two issues with the film and this is actually one of them he says or he said Deciding to exposit the character's background in the middle of the film rather than the first act where we normally do. Or by the time we told the audience who the characters were, they'd already made up their minds about them and we couldn't change their reception. Basically, he realized, oh, we showed that these characters are... We, like, rushed the character development halfway through the movie. Didn't really get a chance to hang see these characters or like learn anything about them. This conversation that they're having right now feels super rushed. Yeah, and does not paint her in a good light. And it doesn't paint her in a good light or him, honestly, because he doesn't stand up for himself. She doesn't even apologize. She just says, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. So I agree. He he regretted them like shoving all the character development into the third act or into the middle of the movie and it they suffer the characters suffer for it and i think this is a sign of that oh yeah she like i said is by far the worst part of this movie her Absol- character absolutely while i have you <laughs> uh i was thinking maybe i could talk a little bit about dean devlin uh he man it is hard 
to find out anything of substance about Dean Devlin. He and Roland Emmerich worked on a lot of films together. I could find a lot of information about Roland Emmerich. Dean Devlin, not a lot for some reason. Even though he's worked on a lot of stuff, he owns his own company now. Uh, Electric Entertainment. But other than that, it's really hard to find anything specific about Dean Devlin. Uh, So I'm going to jump past Dean Devlin just a little bit. I'm using him as a way to stick my foot in the door and talk (laughs) about Roland Emmerich. Uh, Roland Emmerich is referred to as the master of disaster because he makes so many disaster movies. What a good nickname. It is. Uh, Again, he's famous for Stargate, Independence Day, Day After Tomorrow, 2012. Uh, He and Dean Devlin both worked on all of those. And despite how I feel about him and this movie i do think he's a pretty cool guy he's openly gay and was openly gay very early in his career so it became you know at a time where it's very difficult especially in hollywood to be openly gay back when coming out was a big deal exactly he spends a lot of his time and energy on lgbt issues because of that he fights a lot for raising awareness about climate change. Part of that is his movies, Day After Tomorrow and 2012, are both kind of about climate change. But he also puts money towards company, not companies, towards nonprofits and stuff that are fighting climate change, things like that. I didn't expect to come out of this episode liking him. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt about my research. <laughs> um, I guess if my only... T- uh, if my only experience with his work is Godzilla, it's kind of a bad representation. Exactly. that That's kind of been my experience with researching him. It's like, oh, he's a full human being. He's not just a demon for me to dislike or whatever. And, I mean, if the worst thing that we have on him is that he was disrespectful of a piece of art he was given, there's a lot worse things in the world yeah. to have. It just means he was a bad choice for it. Really? Like, yeah. I, I don't dislike him for not liking Godzilla movies. I dislike him for not liking, or not... For tr- taking on a project that he didn't respect. Exactly, exactly. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say, while we're talking about writing, directing the film, I said earlier in the episode that I didn't have the names of the people who wrote the original script. I do. I found them in my notes. Uh, those two people are Ted Elliott and Terry uh, Rossio, who are a, a writing team who have done a lot of screenplays, which is the only reason I wanted to bring them up. They famously did the screenplay for Aladdin, Shrek, all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Treasure Planet. They work a lot with Disney is what I'm saying. That's cool. So they're... a uh, a very well-respected, very good writing team. They wrote the first pass um, where Godzilla fights the Griffin. I'm definitely a novice when it comes to film facts beyond, like, plot, characters, sure. actors. Can you remind me what a screenplay's role is? It's the... It, it's the... Essentially the script. So we... Basically just established that the directors think the characterization of probably the main characters was not well done. Yeah. Everyone, like we've mentioned before, is pretty much a stereotype. Yeah. 
Which we agree with. So, whatever your opinion of Audrey is now, it's about to drop <laughs> further. Nick invites her for tea in his, like, pop-up tent, his station. Mm-hmm. Fun little, like, thing I, I appreciate is that they're heating up the water on, like, a Bunsen burner or whatever for their tea. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's awesome. It's just a cute little cute little thing that it was included. They have a little bit more background. She says, oh, you uh, come a long way from being an anti-nuke activist or from when we were anti-nuke activists. And he says that, well, he's fighting it from the inside. So right now he's cataloging animals that have been affected by radiation as a argument for more regulations. Right. Which is cool. I, I like that characterization yeah. for him. But also a little confusing because if that's his specialty and they called him in for that specialty, why were they so suspicious of the link between radiation and what? Like, they were not, they didn't agree with him right away that radiation was an important part of. Yeah, everyone kept arguing he shouldn't be there and not listening to him. Yeah, who, it's just confusing. Anyway, continue. Well, she just, can. she starts basically very unsubtly interviewing him, asking about, well, what have we learned so far? And, yeah. oh, interesting, tell me more, you know, kind of getting information out of him and not being subtle about it but he's just having a conversation because this is stuff he thinks is interesting yeah during this conversation he's doing his tests and he's like oh my gosh godzilla's pregnant and he explains well he must reproduce asexually so the reason he's in new york is to nest he says he has to go run some samples to the lab to confirm it and while he's gone, Audrey looks around his tent, sees a tape labeled first sighting colon top secret. Who labels a video top secret? That's such a weird thing to do. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the military does that. They don't just like write it in Sharpie on the side and leave it hanging around. No, you're right. Like, why does he have a copy of that? Yeah, you're right. It's weird. I don't know. Like, you would think it would be something that like they have access to but it's kept lock up locked up i don't know yeah don't think about it too hard like we would have gotten in trouble at the medical office for leaving a chart around yeah in an area that patients walk through i'm sure the military is less strict than that though that though <laughs> it's fine so of course she has to steal the tape because she didn't ruin this guy's life enough already mm -hmm. so we get a quick shot of some of the soldiers are searching the subway tunnels and they get to a quote-unquote dead end and they're like oh well guess he's not this way and turn back and as they do you see an eye open and then godzilla moves away and sure. it's not a dead end so it's just an interesting scene yeah i, I don't know how they get Godzilla's skin confused with concrete. Yeah. But it's... It's fine. I'll roll with it. Yeah. So, Audrey watches the tape, and then she records herself reporting a story on the information she got from Nick. Including the tape showing the, the survivor from that initial boat attack saying Gojira. And then she gives the tape over to the news... 
agency that she works for yeah. and asks them to run it because she's got this exclusive. Whose story is that? Mine. <laughs> In the military end of things, Hicks is, or Colonel Hicks is telling his plan to a bunch of military leaders who've now gathered in, um, and the sci- science team. Sure. Nick, Elsie, and Dr. Guy whose name we get once. Yeah, nerds and jocks. <laughs> um, Hicks is telling his plan to this group of people. He tells them that, well, they're worried that they haven't damaged Godzilla yet. But he says, oh, well, Nick found blood, so we did some damage. And then Nick tells everyone that he also found that Godzilla's pregnant. Yeah. His theory is that Godzilla's collecting all this fish for his young. The military want to focus on killing Godzilla and they'll deal with whatever nest later. But Nick's theory is that all the fish that Godzilla's collecting is too much for an animal of its size. So he, she, they, Godzilla, (laughs) must be collecting food because the eggs are going to hatch soon is the theory. Yeah. So he argues against the military's plan to focus only on Godzilla. He thinks that we need to immediately start finding the nest so we can deal with it before the eggs hatch. And Hicks actually stands up for Nick for, like, the first time in this movie because (laughs) all the advice he's had so far has been good advice. Yeah. But during this meeting, a a news program starts running on one of the TVs in the room. And one of the people, one of the, like... One of the military guys. Yeah. Says, I think we need to watch this. I don't know how he knew that, but whatever. It's convenient. (laughs) So they showed the news broadcast... It's came in reporting on Audrey's story. So they basically cut out the part with Audrey speaking and replaced it with Cayman. Yeah. He, like everyone else, mispronounces Nick's name. Well, and he also names the monster. Yes, he does. This is the first time we hear... Godzilla. Is this? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so he, he names it Godzilla... One thing that I think is hilarious is that we had the subtitles on to make your note-taking easier. And for some reason, the subtitles, when Cayman says Godzilla, the subtitles wrote Gondzilla. <laughs> G-O-N-D-Z-I-L-L-A, which <laughs> is clearly a typo, but I think it's a very funny one. I was going to say, it's the name of the movie. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how somebody can misunderstand it. And... While this is playing, we get a quick shot of Audrey being shocked that they wrote over her story. And she says, it's Gojira, you moron. It's Gojira, you moron. I know we've had this argument a few times. Not argument. We've had this discussion about which one's correct. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, we talked about in our first episode. And the answer is... Both of them. Both. <laughs> They're both a- uh, anglicization of Gojira. So fine but it is a a fun thing to say (laughs) gojira you moron (laughs) he does include as part of this nick's theory about godzilla nesting which nick is just getting to telling everybody now Mm -hmm. so clearly this information could only have come from him yep so everyone is clearly very upset that he leaked this information and he's like oh well it must have been when and Nobody cares because, yeah. you know, he was responsible for keeping this information private. And he- Honestly, 
they're all way more chill about it than they actually would be. Like, they say, you're off the case, mister. Turn in your gun and badge. And that's about it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he didn't have any training whatsoever on He's a, an outside. protocols. He's an outside contractor. So you can't really... It's like at work, You if you get penalized for something, a lot of the times you can just say, well, I didn't receive proper training on it. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I can see how it didn't go further than that. But, yeah. So Nick's off it. He, Elsie's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Nick. And he's like, it doesn't matter about me. You just need to make sure that they go find the nest. Nest is what's important. Nick doesn't have a ton of character traits. Nope. He's so flat. He's just like every other character in the movie. Just there doing their thing. He is scientist man. He just, he doesn't, like, he's meek. But in, like, that's kind of it there's no dimension to that he doesn't nope. ever have a point where he learns to stand up for himself there's no nope. character arc there's no they don't ever round out his character and i get that it's an action movie but you can still have some character scenes in an action movie yeah and in fact in other emmerich devlin joints they're pretty good at doing that yeah you actually care about the characters at all sure but this one not so much so, yeah, he's ever the selfless doormat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. End of the world kind of stuff. Sure. You want to f- make sure they focus on the not having Godzilla multiply into the thousands. Not immediately, but, you know, you don't want to create a species of Godzilla. So I get it. But at the same time, he didn't argue at all. Yeah. Yeah. As Nick is packing up his stuff, he's loading up a taxi. Audrey finds him as he's loading the trunk. She said, are you leaving because of me? And he's like, yeah. Yeah. What did you expect? But he says it way less angry than that. He just sounds like a disappointed dad. Yeah, he's just kind of resigned, which is kind of his character trait. And she said, you never <sighs> said it was off the record. So he says, it shouldn't, I shouldn't have to. I should just be able to trust you. But that's really all he says about it. He just says bye and then gets in the taxi. End of discussion. And then for the rest of the movie, not too torn up about it anymore. She does say, like, as he's kind of getting into the taxi, that she needed the story to make it as a reporter. And he's like, seems like you got what it takes. So I do like that that line, that callback to when her friends, her terrible friends um <laughs> animal and lucy were berating her for being too nice and lucy saying that she didn't have what it takes oh no did yeah. i just say that okay but did i say nick's line correctly yeah okay. that when lucy said that she didn't have what it takes because she's too nice yeah as much as we don't like audrey in this movie she is the only character who has any character arc so i do appreciate that she gets she has a plot <laughs> the rest of the characters don't really have a plot. I wouldn't call this a character arc. She never really says sorry at all in the Ever. movie. Spoilers. True. It's as close to a character as you're going to get in this movie. Oh, actually, as he's driving away, so he gets in the taxi, taxi leaves, she's just standing there, she says quietly, I'm sorry. Sure. That's the only time. Never to him. Nope. She just, I don't think she feels remorse. I think she feels regret, which is different. 
she regrets losing out on an opportunity to get back together with him. She doesn't feel remorseful. Yeah. She would still make the same choice over again. Yep. It's all self, it's very self-centered. Yep. Like it only matters because she a didn't succeed at getting anywhere with her theft. <laughs> and b made things worse for herself outside of work. So, yep. She's just very self-centered. She's a bad character. Bad person. And then we see Animal get in, I think in a van. He just, he follows Nick. Yeah, he has a van. Yeah, he gets in his van and follows Nick's taxi. Yeah. I don't really know why. He says late, so when he's going up to his van, he's like, hey man, just wait a minute. Like he's talking to the taxi, so he gets in the van and he's following him. And he says later, I followed him because I thought I would talk some sense into the guy. He's trying to stand up for Audrey. I don't know what he could say. Yeah, I don't know what the plan was or why he thought Audrey should be stood up for, <laughs> but whatever. I feel like she deserves to suffer with the consequences of her own actions. Yes, which she doesn't. So Nick's off in his taxi with Animal following discreetly behind. He's mm-hmm. kind of staying back a bit. And the taxi doesn't go to the airport, which is where Nick was expecting so he asks the taxi driver, what's up? And the taxi driver turns back and it's Philippe Roche. Yes, who introduces himself as such. So he, this is where we, he introduces himself. He says he's Agent Philippe Roche of the Direction Générale des Services Exteriors, which translates to Director General for External Services, sure. roughly. But you looked this up on Google to see if it was like an actual yeah. French agency. Mm-hmm. And so you found there is a DGSE, which the real one stands for Direction General de la Sécurité Extérieure. So Directorate General for External Security, not services. I don't know if they just got it wrong or if there's some type of like, not copyright, but. Yeah, or I just couldn't find the right thing. It was a quick Googling. Like, who knows? But it is weird that there's potentially two DGSEs in French government. I highly doubt that that's what it is. So I have a feeling that they just slightly changed it. Which they do that when they can't use an actual name for whatever reason. But it's like in, if anyone's watching Miss Marvel right now, which just ended in our time, (laughs) in our timeline, (laughs) they have a circle Q. Yeah. Similar. This possible circle Q is real somewhere. But you're right. Yes. But Philippe Roche calls it the French Secret Service. Your quick Google made it sound like it's a counterintelligence agency. Yeah. He's a spy. Yeah. That's the key. And you actually saw the motto for the DGSE, the, the actual DGSE. You said their motto is, wherever necessity makes law. And what a good motto. For a spy agency? Yeah. Yeah, it's super good. But Philippe, so he introduces himself. We finally figure out, we kind of had an idea of what they were doing, but we kind of get a title now. Yeah. And a name. And why. Well, they're about to go into why. Yeah. Yeah. So he tells Nick that the Americans aren't decided not to look for the next. And Nick says something, what does he say? He's like, why should I go with you? Oh, yeah. Like, why should I, why should I go with you? And 
So Philippe says, well, we're the only ones who want to find the nest as badly as you do. Yeah. So we know they also are trying to take care of the nest. Or try to find the nest. Yes. Philippe takes Nick into this, like, warehouse that mm-hmm. they've converted into a base of operations of the French DGSC people. Oh, the Jeans. <laughs> the Jeans and the Philippe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the one Jean-Philippe. No, no, no. This one, there is a Jean-Philippe. That's what I'm this saying. This one is Philippe. There's a bunch of Jeans, there's a Philippe, and there's one Jean-Philippe. <laughs> and one unknown. And one unknown. And the Philippe is played by a Jean. So, really. Is he? Yeah, Jean Renault. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the Johns. Yes. The Johns. <laughs> a room full of Johns. A room full of Johns. <laughs> so, Philippe is a little... French. Shh. <laughs> Let me think of the word. Philippe is a little reluctant to explain why they want to find the nest, but... Nick pushes because he said, well, you have to make me trust you to work with you. So they explain that Godzilla is the result of French nuclear testing. So they want to clean up the mess that was made sure. by France. They're, yeah. they're trying to protect France's reputation in this. Yeah. And all this is happening while Animal is looking in from like a window. They're really bad spies. <laughs> they don't even have like exterior cameras or yeah. anything. They're being tailed by a civilian. You'd think he would have noticed that he was being tailed as a spy. Like, he would have noticed this van that was following him down this unused road. And I'm pretty sure the van has, like, a giant logo on it, too. It might. (laughs) So, Nick does agree to help them out, and he says they should start looking in the subway where they first found fish. Animal goes home and finds his wife, Lucy, has filled their house with just a bunch of random people. I love this. She has the most character work of any person in the movie, I feel. She's just, like, both a hard New Yorker and also very caring about strangers. And Yeah, she's like, I, can't, I couldn't let them sleep on the streets. Yeah, it's great. And he asks where Audrey is. She says she's in the bedroom. And it's just Audrey there feeling bad for herself. Mm-hmm. She's crying because she lost out on the opportunity to be with the only man who will ever love her. And, like, maybe. But the thing she's crying about is her own loss. Yes. I mean, it's okay for her to be upset about a thing that she... Like, she messed up and she did a bad thing. It's okay to be, like, regretful about that, but... It's just a lot of self-pity. It's not... Yeah. That she caused. Yes. I agree. I have zero sympathy. I agree. Animal proposes that they can go follow Nick and the French guys, the Jeans, <laughs> to show that Nick was right to make it up to him. She says something self-pitying like, well, I can't... Something like She has a reason she doesn't want to. He's like, well, suit yourself. I'm going. <laughs> She's like, I really messed this one up, Animal. And he's like, yep, you did. Well, <laughs> I'm going to go see if I can fix it. You want to come? It's great. Yeah. I Like I said, Animal's one of my favorite characters in this. Definitely. So the French guys, the DGSE. The DGSE and Nick are getting into this like military vehicle they're going to try to get past the blockade so they can get into the subways Mm -hmm. and the they have some interesting ways of trying to blend in 
they too don't buckle their helmets, you would propose that maybe it's because they're trying to look American. Yeah. They all are chewing gum and yep. smacking their lips. Which, if you have uh, misophobia, whatever the name of it is where you can't stand the sounds of people's mouths, <laughs> it's a bad scene to watch. Oh, I know. There's so much smacking. Misophonia. I think that's what it is. I had a student with misophonia. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they go up to the barricade. Nick's trying to like throw names around like, oh, Sergeant O'Neill says he needs us. And the soldier in charge of security at that checkpoint is like, why isn't the driver talking? He's the one I'm directing questions to. So he like insists. And Philippe comes out with this like really pretty good Elvis impression. But it's definitely an Elvis impression. Definitely is, yes. But I guess it was enough because he waves them through. Yep. It is the least strict military i've ever seen in a movie (laughs) so they they go down into the the tunnels and we see animal and audrey following behind them not closely but they kind of catch up in the tunnels way more closely than they should be if they're trying to be stealthy they're super loud too at one point they have to go down a using this train the subway car that was like canted at an angle mm-hmm. they have to like use it like a ramp and they drop a tin can or a aluminum cam down the ramp on yeah. accident and it makes so much noise and no one hears it no they do hear it they were like looking around nervously oh that one they do that's true yeah but it's like they're not trying at all to be stealthy no they're in the subways and then godzilla is there like he is crawling through yeah and basically just goes right past them and out onto the street so they're like oh well i guess we'll go that way yeah like the way godzilla was coming from because he's obviously leaving wherever he was nesting or wherever yeah and the reason he was leaving is because the military was currently setting out a new trap. They had a new giant pile of fish. Try the exact same thing twice. But this time they have it out in the open. They're doing it at like a park so they have more room. I don't think you have to know animals super well to know that in general an animal is not going to fall for the same trap twice. Within the same like hour. Yeah. Like, Probably within the same like few hours but still. It's really really short-sighted so godzilla is going towards the fish he comes up to the military who are like positioned on top of some buildings looks over a few blocks sees the fish puts it together and it starts to turn away and they all start firing on him they basically chase him until he he jump godzilla jumps into the hudson and one of the military leaders at the base of operations says don't worry the navy has something they're waiting for him like they haven't been talking about these plans at all with each other like the navy is surprising them with their submarines (laughs) and also how big is the hudson river this thing has three submarines and godzilla and there's a lot of up and down maneuvering too. I guess maybe it is that big because again, I haven't been there, but I cannot imagine <laughs> that you're gonna fit three submarines and a Godzilla. <laughs> and a Godzilla. <laughs> Ridiculous. 
But this is the first time we get a shot of Godzilla swimming. Mm-hmm. Like, in the movie. I don't, is this also... This may be the first time that we see Godzilla swimming. Period. And it looks really good. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, I think the first time you see him swimming in a Japanese movie is in Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, which we talked about in a previous episode. So, I believe this is the first time you see Godzilla swim. Period. Yeah, like, not come out of water. He's in water in other movies, clearly. You he see always him, comes from the water. And you see him walking on the bottom of the ocean in previous movies, which, fine. he could. That's what hippos do. Hippos walk on the bottom of the ocean, or at the bottom of the lake or whatever. Um, so, it makes sense he might walk, but it's cool to see him swim. And they did a really good job on the animation on this. It did look a lot like the shots of the sea iguanas in the water, he has the same kind of snake-like motion, mm-hmm. and his the way his limbs tuck into his body looks really good. I just thought, like, it feels like they designed his whole look around this scene to me. Here's my problem with it. It does look really good. But I again, his stupid rectangle head, <laughs> it's very, like, hydrodynamic vertically. So he should be swimming up and down like a dolphin. Because he doesn't have a... His head would create so much drag going back and forth like it does. I don't know. I mean... Such a minor complaint. Iguanas don't have the most, like, aero... Or hydrodynamic faces. They don't have an oar-shaped face, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's such a minor complaint, but... Yeah, I just... I really liked this scene. Yeah, it's cool really cool scene for as far as kaiju fights go for this movie sure they they lock on they fire torpedoes at him he dodges out of the way because he's pretty maneuverable yeah this is his element and he circles back and goes straight at the sub that fired them one of the three subs and then veers off at the last minute and the torpedoes end up hitting the sub that fired them yep in a scene that's almost exactly like the climactic scene from Hunt for Red October, a much better movie. <laughs> Keep that in mind. I'll come back to that. Which one came out first? Definitely Hunt for Red October. Definitely Hunt for Red October came out first. So he took out one of the subs. Again, Godzilla really hasn't done a ton of damage at all. Like, I guess he's... Like, he's wrecked buildings as he's ran through the streets. He's kind of hit the sides of buildings. He's gone through a few buildings. And he's, uh, like, actively destroyed three helicopters. I think those are the only things he's attacked. Yeah, like, most of this damage is either caused by Godzilla running from the military or just by the military hitting things Yeah, that aren't Godzilla. Yes. Uh, It's, yeah. But eventually, the other two subs do manage to hit him with torpedoes, and they're like, direct hit. We see his body kind of float down. Mm-hmm. Everyone's celebrating. So, at this point, they're pretty sure that Godzilla's dead. Mm. But, End of movie. Well, we we still have the nest. That's so, true. we know there's still this other half of it, and Nick thinks that this is just as if not more dire so sure 
Makes sense. It would totally make sense if this was where Godzilla dies. A lizard can lay up to 12 eggs, Amanda. There's at least 12 more Godzillas waiting. Up to. Up to. Cap of 12. Spoilers. There's more eggs than 12 and Godzilla's not dead, if you can't tell. I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you cared about spoilers. I think you say that every episode. I'm telling a story, Andrew. So the DGSE guys and Nick exit the tunnel. They come to the other end of the tunnel and they come out at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And they're looking around. They find some eggs. One of the guys finds the breaker and hits the lights. And of course, the spotlights come on first for some reason. And the whole stadium is filled with hundreds of eggs. Yeah. Like, probably had. They say at like? least 200. Yeah. So so they start rigging up explosives on the eggs and quickly run out because they were not planning for hundreds of eggs. They were not prepared for this many eggs, no. And as they're doing this and just starting to run out, you start hearing movement from one of the eggs, Nick does. So he goes up to it and he's like listening. He puts his head against it. That se- like you said that's ridiculous, but that seems like a very scientist thing to do. It's kind of like how chemists will just kind of taste stuff occasionally. It's just a thing. At least if you're a chemist, theoretically, you know what the properties are. I think that by definition, or not by definition, I think that one of the defining features of a scientist is that they're curious. So, yeah, I can see it. I just can't imagine putting my face next to an egg knowing there's a thing in there. And this egg is huge, right? It's bigger than him. Knowing that... At any second now, a head could pop through it. A Godzilla. Yeah. But, so he he puts his ear up to it and he's listening to the movements. And then it does begin to hatch. And they all start hatching. Mm -hmm. Animal and Audrey come in shortly after they did. So they're also here. And quickly realize, and Nick quickly realizes they all smell like all the fish that's cluttering this whole place. So... They start running as this horde starts appearing and chasing them. And it becomes increasingly more and more uh, Jurassic Park. Yes. Running away from raptors. Also, I'll talk more about that later. (laughs) So they run out of the main stadium part. They go into like the the halls of the stadium. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're trying to, like, lock doors behind them and create barriers, which don't hold them very long. Nope. These are giant lizards. Nine-foot-tall lizards. They were split up around the stadium because they were rigging up the explosives. So they kind of are split up a bit at this point. They're in, like, groupings. So so some of them, two of them do get picked off. Like, it's kind of like a picked-off-one-by-one kind of thing. Divide and conquer. Yeah. Meanwhile, the citizens of New York are shown kind of mobbing, demanding to be let back in. And it looks like they are, almost. It seems like they're getting close to being let back in. Yeah. But Hicks is currently waiting for divers to confirm Godzilla's body. They're trying to confirm he's actually dead, which seems like a good idea. Definitely seems smart. Especially since they have an idea of where the body is. It shouldn't be that fat. It shouldn't take that long. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like a good idea. But 
especially since we do find out later that Godzilla was bluffing, I guess. Or just injured. Or just injured, yeah. But it definitely needed to be confirmed. Yeah, Mayor Ebert is throwing a fit. He's wanting to let them back in. He only cares about public opinion. And while this is happening, Elsie raises the concern that, hey, we should probably start looking for that nest, which Hicks agrees to. Mayor Ebert does try to stop him. He's like, who gave you the authority? And Hicks just blows right past and doesn't Mm -hmm. care. In the stadium... Philippe tells Nick to call for the military to bomb the stadium. So he tossed him like a... It looked like a satellite phone. Like, that thing was huge, but... It's an early cell phone. But it was just a cell phone. I mean, they had the smaller ones. This thing looked bigger than the other cell phones we saw. Might be a satellite phone. I don't know. But it's not a satellite phone because he's going through the normal phone system. It's a phone. Yeah. He gives him some phone. He's trying to call. Line keeps being busy. He tries the pay phone. Line's still busy. One of the DGSE asks where Jean-Philippe and Jean-Pierre are, and they find that uh, somebody else says that they're dead, or they didn't make it, something like that. Yeah. So this is where we learn two of their names, <laughs> is when they ask where they are. Philippe says that the DGSE guys are going to hold off the the Godzilla babies, and Nick needs to go get help. Sure. So they all split up. Why are they splitting up now? I don't know. This seems like a bad idea. Hundreds of essentially Jurassic Park raptors. And there's so many entrance points in every single room that there's no way that the three remaining military trained guys can do anything to hold them off. Nonsense. So they all go in different directions and Nick theoretically tries to exit the building to go get call for military action. During this time that they're all split up, two more of the soldiers die. Um, Jean-Luc and another one who never gets named. So now it's just Philippe, Nick, and then we know that Animal and Audrey are there too. Right. And this is where they all run into each other. Nick is running and he's having to jump in the elevator and get to a floor and then there's more like there's this shot where they open up the doors and there's just one of the Godzilla's in a bag of popcorn and he yep. pops his head up like huh they're just eating popcorn and then he just the slowly the doors close again yeah it's kind of a funny scene and he bumps into John Luke right as Audrey and Animal come crashing through the ceiling. Because they were in the vents, right? Yeah, they were trying to escape some Godzilla babies by hiding in the vents. Yeah. And Which seems fell. like a good idea. Sure. Not a long-term solution. It's not getting them out of the building, but it's a good way to hide from them for a bit. Yeah. Philippe immediately stomps on Animal's camera. Mm-hmm. Like, no cameras. No cameras. And then they start getting... And um, they're trying to figure out what to do. Nick mentions that he tried to call out, but all the lines are busy. So Audrey has the idea to use the broadcasting studio because their network covers some of the games here. Yeah. So they head up to the broadcasting studio and Animal grabs the tape from the camera. It's the best idea she has in the whole movie. I know. It's really the only time she's useful. (laughs) They get to the studio. They kind of barricade themselves in. Audrey goes live and she asks well she's not live yet she she goes on camera and she 
is basically they connect to the station and she's begging him to put them on and clearly the thing that convinces the person in charge of the network is animal turns the camera and sees the whole at points it at the stadium filled with hundreds of baby godzillas yeah so they go live and audrey's talking about what's going on they're there at the stadium there's hundreds of godzillas and um, she brings Nick on and interviews him and says that his theory was right. She's interviewing about the newly hatched babies and the risk. And he's saying that the numbers, if they multiplied this quickly, how much they'd grow and how quickly and what type of danger the world was looking at. He even says that they would become the new dominant species, which is a weird thing to say. This is a thing that comes up occasionally in Godzilla fiction like it was brought up here it's the idea of it's kind of brought up at the end of shin godzilla the idea that godzillas could like overrun the planet or whatever there is actually a time that we kind of get to see that happen and it's in the oh that's um where they leave is it the animated one they leave the planet and abandon it to godzilla basically yeah the the kind of otherwise lackluster anime trilogy has a lot of really interesting ideas it's mostly just that first movie i don't really like but yeah that's kind of the idea of the first movie is that the planet just kind of gets taken over by godzilla's it's cool it's a cool idea anyway so yeah nick is making the case for how serious the situation is and it goes back to Audrey and she says, it doesn't matter what happens to us. We just need the military to take action so that we can prevent them from getting out. And it clearly works. The network guy tells them they have six minutes to get out because the military is sending jets. jets. So they are making a break for it. This is right when a bunch of Godzilla's break through the glass in the room and it started when the hatching happened, but this movie kind of turns into what feels like a really good roller coaster ride. If they turn the second half of this movie into a roller coaster, it would be a great roller coaster. I would have way more fun with this movie as a roller coaster than as a movie. Because it, they all act like animatronics, which I'm assuming they at least partially are. They are. There's some animatronics, there's some puppets, there's some... Yeah. Because most of what they do, there are shots of the baby Godzilla's running through the halls and like careening around corners. But most of what you get is them kind of standing in place and making lunges as they run by, but not actually moving from yeah. their spot. So it feels a lot like a Indiana Jones ride. It definitely it has a lot of Indiana Jones feels. Uh, and also when they first come in, and, to the stadium. And they shine lights on the stadium. It looks like the reveal of an Indiana Jones idol or whatever. Yeah, they kind of pan around the room and it feels like you're seeing the city of gold for the first time exactly. or whatever it is. So there's definitely some Indiana Jones ride and movie vibes. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, while we're talking about special effects, do you want to talk about the special effects director? Sure. I don't have a lot to talk about him. Um, but... The director of the special effects in this movie is named Volker Engel. He's German, uh, if you couldn't tell by the name. And he has worked on a lot of Emmerich slash Devlin movies. He won an Academy Award for special effects for Independence Day. 
uh, I think specifically it was the destruction of the White House in that movie. He he's a, he's really good with miniatures, with practical effects. He he's got a lot of special effects experience in general. Yeah, and I'd say the special effects in this movie were pretty good. Yeah, I would even s- sorry. Go ahead. Oh, even you know twenty five years later. I don't know how long. I don't want to do the math. Even 25-ish years later, it still looks really good. All of the Godzilla scenes have a lot of weight when he runs. Mm-hmm. It Things interact really well together. I would say the babies are kind of the weakest part. And they still look good. It's just they don't interact well. Yeah. It's an issue that we still have today is CG interacting with the physical environment. But... Uh, now our technology is good enough that we could just replace the background environment with CG that looks pretty good, and that's how it, you know, interacts well. But, no, it's, you know, this is, like, the beginning of the CG craze in Hollywood. This is the beginning of them starting to just completely get rid of practical effects and replacing it with CG. So this movie has a nice mixture of the two, um, which is good. And, but you can tell the babies are where they struggled and part of that i think is the sheer number of them the number of them i think it's also the scale yeah they're not interacting with buildings they're interacting with people which are much harder to simulate that interaction than with you know squares of metal exactly so i get it it just there's a lot of times where it feels a little uh rehearsed i guess or a little staged which it is but it feels staged because things like are near misses and just kind of stilted a little bit i would say that that my two favorite parts of the movie are the special effects and i thought the music is very good i don't really remember the music beyond the end credit scene the music is pretty good pretty standard hollywood music but it's still it's pretty good hey let's talk about the person who did the music <laughs> uh i'm just gonna jump in here with it because it's also gonna be very fast uh david arnold was the composer for the mo- for the movie he has also scored a ton of emmerich devlin movies uh like stargate and independence day but he also did a bunch of james bond movies and the sherlock series oh, like cool. the bbc sherlock series yeah uh and good omens which we started but haven't watched but <laughs> I know it was very good. Yeah, I actually can recall some of his music, so that's impressive. Yeah. But yeah, this scene in particular felt a little weird, them escaping, because all of the heads of the baby Godzillas kind of break into the glass at the same time. It It's very in sync, and it feels a little weird. Yeah, there's one baby Godzilla who's outside the windows who's going, all right, three, two, one go and then they all break in <laughs> yeah it's just a little weird not how things would work it's the swat team godzilla babies yeah but you know whatever so philippe breaks out the window facing the stadium and throws a line down and says i don't know about you guys but i'm getting out of here <laughs> so they are running through the halls there's a funny scene where Nick keeps looking back, like, out of interest, I guess. I guess. And so he's falling behind a bit, and 
Audrey just keeps calling his name. Like, Nick! Yeah, it's very anime. Sean! <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that one. <laughs> and so he's trying to catch up, and then she's saying, Nick, this way! And then they come running back towards him. They're like, not this way! Yeah. It's very Scooby-Doo. Yeah. So they're running through the hallways. They get down to the lobby. And they're at the top of these escalators looking down at this pool filled with baby Godzillas in the lobby. They're almost out. They have 30 seconds left. And they just need to get out of the building. So Philippe shoots the chandeliers that are hanging down. There's like a couple ball-shaped chandeliers. They come crashing down and kind of make a path through. Mm -hmm. And they run out of building just as the bomb goes off. They lock the doors behind them so the Godzillas aren't, like, leaking out after them. Sure. Sure. If they were open, I don't know why they hadn't left before that. But. I don't know. You know, movie ending. They run out. Explosion. Big firebomb. And they all get knocked forward as they kind of jump for it. And now the movie's over. Yeah, I mean, we do get a bit of a movie ending here. They have a moment of, like, that elated laugh. Audrey and Nick make googly eyes at each other, and they Mm -hmm. share a kiss. Yep. And then Godzilla rises from the wreckage of the building. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes of its babies. Jeez. (laughs) But, yeah, Godzilla looks around, sees all its dead young, which is very sad actually yeah he kind of noses at some of his babies it's very depressing to me and then eyes the group and like makes this connection and starts chasing them Mm -hmm. so they start running from godzilla they're leaping over fences using kind of alleys to slow them down a little bit there's a scene where godzilla is coming to bite at one of them and like crashing through in between two buildings. And because he's got that stupid giant chin, <laughs> it's like tearing up the concrete underneath. It's like if you didn't have the stupid chin, <laughs> you probably would have gotten it. I don't think that he planned to have that chin. I know. Who does? <laughs> so they, they jump in a taxi and Philippe jumps in the driver's seat. He's probably the best one for the job anyway. Yep. He takes out like a weird shaped knife. And he jams it into the key slot and revs the engine that way. I don't know if that would work. Would not work. Okay. Unless it's some sort of magical French knife. (laughs) I want a magical French knife. (laughs) And they, so they start taking off in the taxi. In the back seat, Animal and Audrey are having an argument over directions in New York. Like, oh, you should take this bridge, not in this weather, and... Hey, it's New York! <laughs> yeah, they have like a little uh, bickering about it. Yeah. And it's a very roller coaster-like chase. Like This is the part I want to be an actual roller coaster. Yeah, they like will drive up. They were driving and Godzilla got in front of them. So they get up to Godzilla and then they start backing up the car. Mm-hmm. And it's just very roller coaster looking. They pass by O'Neill and the troops who are still out in the city streets. Sure. And Nick tells Philippe to turn around, go back towards the troops, which seems like a good idea, you know, get some firepower. Yeah. And as they pass by, because they're not going to stop, as they pass by, he throws out the 
taxi like identification plate yeah. from the taxi. Which is very clever. Yeah. And this is where we see the closest thing we get to a breath weapon in this movie. Godzilla throughout the movie has had like a really pretty powerful breath. He'll like breathe out and you see like fish go flying from his mouth at people. And so he he does that. He does like a roar at them, which throws some cars at them and one of them ignites and creates this kind of fire breath looking thing yeah so this is uh officially referred to as power breath you actually just referred to it as power breath on accident did i you did <laughs> but i was very happy with uh and yeah godzilla this godzilla doesn't have a breath weapon but he does have breath that is so stinky, <laughs> stinky? That, that it catches fire Oh, I just assumed it was like fumes from the cars that caught. I don't think so. I think it's just his bad breath. He literally just had has bad breath. Gross. So we get what's the closest we get to a breath weapon. I kind of like the nod to the breath weapon. Sure. If you're not going to have a breath weapon, then it, this is a fine way to do it. But yeah, it's, it's a nod to it. It just sucks that he gets rid of it. Yeah, that would have been another way to take care of the... Helicopters? helicopters yeah they're running from godzilla in the taxi they find this tunnel and they think oh yeah this is a good place although godzilla has spent this whole time burrowing through concrete so i don't know how this is going to stop them but they go into the tunnel and it has a dead end so they get as close to the dead end as they can and godzilla's like barely not able to reach them he keeps sticking his head or a claw in and just which barely missing them again super fun roller coaster yeah. His claw getting super close to the front of the car. So O'Neill is able to get a hold of them on the radio because of he was able to identify which car they were in. So they look up the registry of taxis and he's able to find them and radio them. And he tells them to lead Godzilla out to the open and Philippe's like, sure, let me just do that for you because <laughs> they're stuck in a tunnel. So Nick tells him to turn on the high beams so they kind of momentarily blind Godzilla and go out past him. They lead him to the Brooklyn Bridge and they're crossing the bridge when Godzilla comes out from beneath the bridge in front of them and bends over and picks up the car in his mouth. So yes. the car is like clutched in Godzilla's teeth. Very roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And Nick sees like a live wire because the lights that were pulled up and he grabs the live wire with his bare hand and jams it into the gum line like Godzilla's gum line between the canine tooth and the gums like in that divot yeah which causes Godzilla to like drop them basically yeah it hurts (laughs) yeah but not even drop them. He kind of lowers them enough and then releases. And they kind of fall onto this ramp from that was created by the concrete being upturned. It's It seems very staged. Very staged. Because he drops them at the perfect angle so that it kind of makes this V, like this perfect tunnel shape mm-hmm. that they come out of. This is the most roller coaster part to me. Yeah. Is this scene where yeah. they like... get perfectly placed back onto this track where they move down the ramp and 
for my money, this whole scene where they're running away from Godzilla is the best part of the movie. <laughs> I think this is the most fun in the whole movie. I think this is, these are great I action scenes. I want this roller coaster to happen. Yeah. It's also, maybe a spoiler for my opinions at the end of the movie, the only time that we see Godzilla really going on the offensive. And, yeah. And I think that's a big part of why I like this scene. Yeah. And we'll go back to that part. But yeah, so they, they get out. Godzilla tries to go after them, but all the suspension cables have been like snapping and wrapping around him. So he's kind of caught in this net of the suspension cables. Yes. Which I guess was Nick's plan. Nick just has all the good ideas in the movie. Nobody else is allowed to have good ideas except for the one that Audrey might have helped with. It's all he's got. What is he if not the idea guy? (laughs) But his ideas, like, I get him being the specialist in his field, but he also has the ideas of cave, like, using the electric cable the idea of using the high beams like philippe doesn't contribute to these at all even though he would be the one who should be the action guy right yes yeah he should i mean philippe gets a lot of good lines he's very snarky i know that in a podcast format you don't really get the personality that he had in the in the movie but he had a lot of really good personality yeah he he's just always very he has a dry sense of humor and I really appreciated his character. Hey, guess what? Jean Reno is a very charismatic person. Yeah, I and bet. It, and it comes through in the character. Yeah, he did a really good job with this character. Yeah. So I, I wish I had been able to bring that through describing him. But, like, I should have written down more of his lines. But I really liked his character. He just doesn't really get utilized because Nick has to be the hero in every single scene. He's just there to get nick into the positions to become the hero yeah yeah and because nick can't hold a gun for whatever reason either they don't want him to be seen holding a gun or because he doesn't have a reason to be able to shoot a gun yeah they're the gun guys not that it ever really came in useful to have a gun actually nope other than breaking the glass to escape yeah no to get into the broadcast room and that animal couldn't get the he couldn't remember the password to get into the broadcast room so nick just shoots the lock yeah which how are you gonna lock out the babies nick doesn't sorry roach does swat swat team godzilla did not know how to open doors (laughs) well yeah swat teams don't open doors they kick them down exactly so back to where we left (laughs) off i got way on a tangent there Godzilla's stuck in the suspension cables, so the military's able to hit him with missiles now that he can't move, and he kind of collapses forward towards where the main group, Nick, Audrey, Animal, Philippe, have gotten off the bridge to, and right where Nick had just been standing. He like mm-hmm. backs up just enough for Godzilla to head to land where he was standing. And we see we hear Godzilla's heartbeat. And then it slowly comes to a stop. Which is just like the end of the original King Kong, which we'll talk about when we get to that movie. But keep that in your brains for my later opinions. So this clearly is a reference to King Kong, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Because it seemed way too out of nowhere to not be a reference to something. Yeah. So they're showing Godzilla being destroyed. Everyone's celebrating. They cut to Lucy, who's still at the house filled with random people. And she is shocked to see him 
uh, her husband on TV. And I get that part, but how did, I really hope she did notice that he wasn't there. <laughs> right? There's a, there's a lot of people. She's distracted. He's been gone for hours. And he would be the person I would look to to help me manage this household full of people. He's a news camera guy during a major event. I don't know. But he snuck out through the window. He did. You would think that if he was going off to work, he'd go through the door. Anyway, she, so she's like, that's my husband. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. Which is a joke they make throughout the movie. She keeps saying she's going to kill him. Yep. Elsie and Dr. Craven, that was the name I forgot earlier, are celebrating too. They turn and they have a in-the-moment kiss, which she immediately regrets. And he was very... He, he was like, oh, this could be a thing. And she immediately looks disgusted and he immediately looks really disappointed. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of mean. Yeah. Mayor Ebert starts talking about using Godzilla's defeat in his campaign. And Gene says, well, that could backfire. And when the mayor still insists, Gene quits on the spot. By giving a thumbs down. Well, what he did is he did a thumbs up and then he turned it over and turned it into a thumbs down. Yeah. Hicks congratulates O'Neill for a job well done over the radio, which is cool. He called out O'Neill. O'Neill did a lot of the groundwork for a lot of this. Yeah. He's the one who put together the taxi identification with... Like we said before, he's the character the movie respects the most somehow. Yeah. Yeah. He really did a lot of good work to get them to this conclusion. And everyone's trying to interview nick and he says oh well i've already promised an exclusive to audrey i don't know why because they're fine now she hasn't done anything she hasn't even said she's sorry she hasn't done anything to make it up to him i guess the point was to show that he was right that was her making it up to him but that feels like paying somebody off for your mistake yeah not enough it's like, oh, I'm sorry, here's jewelry. It feels very gross to me. Yeah. They don't have, neither of them have a lot of self-respect, which means they're perfect for each other. Um, Cayman comes running up to Audrey saying, hey, we have an exclusive. She's like, we, and quits, which, cool. I like the standing up against misogyny aspect of it she's just not a good person (laughs) yes you can do both you can do something that's yeah you know that is awful you could be a bad person and still do good things yeah and vice versa animal is looking in the camera he now has that he grabbed from the broadcast room and he can't find the tape philippe calls nick from a payphone and says that because he just disappeared. He says that he'll return the tape once a few items have been removed. Sure. And then the last scene is they cut over to the wreckage of the um, of Madison Square Garden. And they zoom in on a single egg beginning to hatch. And then Puff Daddy music starts. Yes. That doesn't fit the movie at all. It's all about like... How tough the the singer is. Yeah. It's funny. That song, I... It's a weird choice. Is a weird choice. That song was, like, part of the thing that sold the movie, was that was on the, the movie's soundtrack, and people wanted that song. I think it's hilarious, because the radio version of that song, any of the cursing that he does, gets censored by a Godzilla roar. Okay, I can take it. Which I think every song should have that. No I more mean, beeps. 
I can see that being a selling point. That's cool that they did have that tie-in. Sure. Yeah. I think that was just a common thing at the time. Because, like, the Daredevil movie, whenever that was, I don't know. Like, the main reason I cared about that movie was the soundtrack. The Daredevil movie had a great soundtrack. And same, actually, with some of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Daredevil was a good movie with or without a good soundtrack. Mm. You're rude. (laughs) (laughs) So, Amanda. Yes. The egg hatches at the end of the movie. And from from there, we get a split timeline. Uh, Would you like to know about what that egg hatches into or what it could have hatched into? What? If it does hatch into something, how does it have a could have? I'm so confused. Answer my question. Why? (laughs) You can't make me. Do you want to know about the cartoon that was made and aired or the sequel that was not? Oh, okay. I understand now. Let's talk about the sequel that was not aired. What could have been. Um, So this was supposed to be a trilogy. I wonder why it didn't get turned into one. And I would say, well, first of all, it did fine financially. Like, honestly, it did well enough that it probably should have had a sequel. Fans were really upset about it. Did not do well with critics. I wonder why. They insulted critics in it. Yeah. So, uh, it's a little weird to me that they didn't make a second one. I'm not upset that they didn't make a second (laughs) one. But please let me read to you my notes on what the sequel would have been. Because it is bonkers. (laughs) I'm just going to read word for word my notes. A planned but unmade sequel involved the baby Godzilla... That hatches at the end of this one. Imprinting on Nick Totopoulos. What? And then having to escape the military. They meet event again years later in Australia. And the new Godzilla treats Nick as his mother. There's a, <laughs> there's a scene described where Nick sleeps in a tent in the wilderness. And a full-grown Godzilla and a small army of that Godzilla's babies curl up next to his tent. What? I have mixed feelings about this. (laughs) Uh, And they have to find some giant bees that are attacking Australia. Is that why they chose Australia? Because Australia is known for having weird animals? I don't know. But yeah, uh, the sequel would have been a boy and his dog. But a boy (laughs) and his Godzilla. And his army of smaller Godzillas. Yes. Isn't that weird? What a weird choice. Just the most bizarre sequel decision I've ever heard. I honestly would have been way more excited to see that movie than this one. Me too! So I kind of am a little disappointed they didn't make the sequel now, knowing what it would have been. It's so weird. Um, the other universe, the universe we live in, uh, is that egg hatched into the Godzilla Wait, are we talking about multiverses or timelines? Because apparently, according to Marvel, those are two different things. We're not getting into it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The egg hatches into the main character of the Godzilla cartoon. Godzilla the Animated Series. Um, Is this the Hanna-Barbera one? No, the Hanna-Barbera one was in the 60s. Okay. Uh, No. This is 
a cartoon that was on Fox Kids. It is fantastic. And solves a lot of the problems that this movie had. This Godzilla uh, is tough. You know, fight stuff. It's a monster of the week sort of thing. So there's other monsters that Godzilla fights. Has this not been done before? A monster of the week Godzilla show? Uh, Well, the Hanna-Barbera is that. But there's also not been a lot of Godzilla shows. It's fair. Uh, Godzilla has a breath weapon. They bring back the... Uh, there's aliens in it. And the aliens bring the first Godzilla's body back to life as like a, a half machine thing. So there's a Mecha Godzilla thing. So this is more true to the spirit of Godzilla. It feels like a Showa series. Yeah. Like it feels like the original Godzilla series. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, and, uh, that ended up stopping, it did well, the cartoon, Mm -hmm. um, and it's totally worth anyone's time, but it ended up disappearing because of the Pokemon Digimon Wars, which, which is a real phrase that I read (laughs) and is apparently the actual term used for that period of time where there was a war between Fox Kids and Kids WB because of Digimon slash Pokemon. The Pokemon Digimon Wars. I get it. Like, that totally, when you said that, brought back a certain period of my life. Yes, like, I absolutely. Get it. I was so, the right age for that that time period where I was watching those shows. Yeah. But that show also has... It features Nick having that Godzilla imprint on him and thinking that he's his mom. So I guess that was just always going to be the plan, is that Nick is Godzilla's mom. Um, Wait, that show did too? Yep. What? Yep. I'm so confused. That's why Godzilla's friends with them. It's the only way that you could turn this kind of Godzilla into a protagonist. I guess. I thought you said that Elsie and Dr. Craven were main characters. They are also main characters in it. There is a cool uh, goth French spy who joins the team. I love it. Uh, and I think Audrey's also in it as a reporter, but she's uh, not really a main character or anything. They could have just dropped her. I would have been fine. <laughs> but it's great. Great. People should watch it. There's a short, there's like a mini series that is just feels like a Showa movie that like a bunch of aliens come in and revive all the monsters that Godzilla's fought at that time and release them all at once and Godzilla has to deal with all of them. It's great. So what you're saying is there was a purpose to having this movie made and that was so that it could spawn off an amazing TV show. Exactly. Okay, yes. I, I like it. Just a few last minute things from the people who made the movie. Uh, Devlin, I already talked about one of the mistakes that he feels like they made, which is about their character development. The other is, let me just read the quote I have. The first we, sorry, the first mistake he's talking about. First is we did not commit to anthropomorphizing Godzilla, meaning we did not decide if he was a heroic character or a villainous character. We made the intellectual decision to have him be neither and just simply an animal trying to survive. And that seems like a very valid choice that's done in other Godzilla movies, right? He's just treated like an animal with animal instincts. Yeah, but I agree with him that if they had made him a villain, we would have cheered more at his death. If they made him 
more heroic than it would have had. Like, we would have felt more about Godzilla. Yeah, as it was, it was kind of a lackluster ending. Yes, yeah. I didn't really care about anybody's end of their story. Nope. I didn't care about Nick and Audrey getting back together. In fact, I actually did care (laughs) negatively. Um, I didn't really care that Godzilla died other than feeling a little outraged because most of the destruction was brought on by themselves yeah like you said earlier godzilla didn't even go on the offensive until they killed all his babies yep (laughs) uh rob fried i think is how you say his name maybe rob freed um helped he helped acquire the rights to godzilla for tristar he was angered by the movie he said that the Sony executive team that took over Godzilla was one of the worst cases of executive incompetence incompetence that I've ever observed in my 20-year career. One of the golden assets of our time, which was hand-delivered to them and was managed as poorly and ineptly as anyone can manage an asset. They took a jewel and turned it into dust. What a good line. Yeah. <laughs> this is very scathing. Yeah. And then just the very last thing I wanted to say about the people who made the movie, Devlin... Dean Devlin, when the legendary Godzilla movies were announced, he was asked about it, and this is what he said. Very short. Uh, I know that I screwed up my Godzilla. I'd be very happy if they pull it off and do a great one. Okay. There's something there. Yeah, I I would say that I don't like how they handled it, but I appreciate that they have the self-awareness to agree that they don't like how they handled it. Exactly. So, I mean... Like I said, there's definitely worse character flaws to have than not treating a piece of art with the respect it deserves. Yes. And especially the fact that they've clearly had some self-reflection about this movie. Or at least they've been beaten into submission about it by fans. (laughs) So I'm going to have some stuff to say about opinions of the movie, but I want to hear your opinions of the movie first. I think that... One thing I would say is at least it wasn't boring. That's true. There's definitely been, for example, I had a hard time with doing the first Gamera movie because to me it was really slow and it was really hard to get through it twice in a row. Yeah. I mean, if it's spaced more apart, like if I watched it just to watch it and I didn't have to pause it every few seconds to take notes, I think that would have been less painful for me, Uh, but... This one wasn't boring. There was always some action happening, whether the action was interpersonal or monster related. Sure. So I can appreciate it for that. It's a fun popcorn flick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not a movie I would ever go out of my way to see. I wouldn't ever pay money to see this. I would put, I could potentially put it on as a background movie. You know, like you're folding laundry, having a conversation with the Catching up with a friend, but you want to put a movie on, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, it's fine. It's like, fine. Like, if I if I didn't associate it with this franchise that has all this meaning and history and this following, I, if I didn't associate it with that franchise at all, I would have, it would just be a fine movie. Sure. I just, I see why the fans were a little outraged at it. Yeah. I agree. It's fine. And I honestly think that they would have been better served making this a Beast from 20,000 Fathoms remake 
it, he shares a lot of traits with the monster from Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and. I don't know. I just think it would be better. Honestly, we'll probably talk about that when we get they to They even had a reference to the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Well, right? they, they had, they showed It Came From Beneath the Sea, which oh. was also special effects by Ray Harryhausen. Okay, I was close. It was one of Ray Harryhausen's earlier movies. Exactly. They had that briefly on TV, on one of the televisions on screen when Nick was buying pregnancy tests. No, I think it was, there were looters who were... Oh, that's right. There was yeah. a moment when looters were mid-looting when Godzilla came in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a fun nod to, like, great special effects in the past. Like, I, I'm And early kaiju. Exactly. I'm, I'm here for it. So my problems come in two... I have two general sets of problems. And the first one is Godzilla. Like, not only do I not particularly like this design for Godzilla... But it just doesn't have anything that makes him Godzilla. It doesn't have the breath. It doesn't have the important political meaning behind the background of him in any way. It doesn't have his personality. He spends the entire movie up until the last 10 minutes running away. And no other movie are you ever going to see Godzilla run away from anything. In fact, there's other movies where they talk about how you can control where Godzilla goes because you shoot at him and he goes in the direction of the person who <laughs> shot him. That's Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla's not someone who runs away. It's like if you said I'm making a movie about Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse is just mean and angry and it's gritty or whatever. Like, just the exact opposite personality. It's just very disappointing. I can see it. And then my other issue is... Xenophobia? It is kind of that. <laughs> this movie is so obsessed with... This is a movie where they took a Japanese property, maybe the most famous, most important Japanese film product or er, property in history, and they turned it into a movie that is about how cool American movies are. Because it's constantly trying to be great american movies they try they reference king kong the whole thing is trying to be jurassic park they talk about or they mention uh or they reference hunt for red october they reference so many great american movies and the only place that they don't have a little title card pop up is new york because it's new york baby and it's america and it's just so all up inside its own butt Especially because this is the first completely American-made Godzilla movie. Yeah. And there's no no reverence for even the country that it comes from. Like, I, I can understand people who have American special effects looking at the Japanese special effects and going, That's oh, a guy in a suit. Buh, 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 buh. Whatever. I've had that conversation with people. I understand that it happens. For the filmmakers to see Japanese special effects and say we could do it different, I understand that. But for you to get such an important Japanese franchise, get your hands Icon. on it. Yeah. And then throw away everything Japanese about it. In fact, the, the only Japanese portions 
was the really racist stereotype they entered on of the guy eating noodles and watching sumo and the one shot of the guy saying Gojira. Yeah. Which that's the only really respectful thing they did. Yes. And it's like, it, it is the definition of whitewashing. It is as whitewashed as you can possibly make it. There are characters who are there from other countries. They're not from Japan. They're from France. <laughs> like, it just is, it's so disrespectful and it makes me so mad. Still, like, I'm fine with the monster now. I've gotten past my hatred of this depiction of Godzilla. I really actually like it as a monster. I think he's cool. I think he's got some cool ideas. Yeah, it's cool to have a stealthy kaiju. Yeah. Like, you don't really see that other places. I don't know of any other movies where you have a kaiju that can hide. Exactly. But it's just so disrespectful. Yeah. And if it was a Beast from 20,000 Fathoms remake, that would fix all of my issues with that. Because that's an American movie. Yeah. So it just... It's, it is a thing that's hard to get over. Yeah. Totally. No, I can definitely see that. And then they make it worse with the constant barrage of stereotypes, yep. xenophobic comments, yep. making fun of people for their appearance, like the short jokes. Making, it's just... making fun of the special effects or the designer of the monster's name constantly yeah and you don't even hear nick's full name except for the only time is when audrey introduces him in the broadcasting booth she introduces him as nico totopoulos mm -hmm. that's the only time you hear him not called nick yep it there's just it's a mean movie it's a mean-spirited yeah. movie it's very irreverent in not a good way yes they're not being irreverent to make a point they're punching down they're punching down is what it is. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I don't have a strong opinion about this at all. <laughs> I can see why people would enjoy it, though. Yeah. I can see it is fun. There are moments of levity that I totally... I like nuggets that you can find in there. Like the moment where the doors open and there's a Godzilla eating popcorn. Sure. Or the moment they have to U-turn because they ran into a horde of Godzillas and they have to backtrack. Yeah. There's moments that are really well thought out. The... The swimming was really good. Cool. It's yeah. the first time we get to see him move through water when he is a water creature. So there, it does a lot of good things well. So I can see, I don't want to hate on if this is one of your, if this is a movie you enjoy, I don't want to hate on it. Yeah. That's... And respect where it's due, this movie introduced Godzilla to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it, like, it said that Godzilla's not just the other movie that was commonly seen in America, which is Godzilla vs. Megalon. Godzilla doesn't just have to be Godzilla vs. Megalon. There's other Godzillas, and you can actually go and look and find them. Like, yeah. That is a thing that happened. And also, Toho had planned to give over Godzilla to TriStar for a while, and the fact that this movie was as bad as it is <laughs> meant that they put out their own movie the next year. So it sparked a new string of Toho movies, some of which are my favorite Godzilla movies. So, you know, this movie I have bad opinions of, but it did some good stuff. What's the one that came out right after this? Godzilla 2000, released okay. in 1999. <laughs> we'll have to do that one soon. We will. And that's another thing is 
when I talk to this movie or talk about this movie to people who saw it, they always refer to it as Godzilla 2000 because Godzilla 2000 got a lot of advertising after this movie came out and people just assumed it was the same movie. That's so funny. So people who are not in the know call this movie Godzilla 2000, even though it was two years before 2000. Anyway, it's very confusing. <sighs> so Amanda, who would you refer this movie to? I think this is a good movie for people who like 90s comedy because it's definitely a uh what's the word for it i think it's very representative of the comedy at the time sure it's good for people who like action movies there's constantly action happening there's okay oh there's always like a cool idea to overcome a barrier and it's good for people who like a fast-paced movie sure uh yeah i would say it's weirdly not good for people who like disaster movies. <laughs> There's not a lot of disaster movie stuff in this movie. I'm just realizing. I'm thinking back. It's like, I guess some landmarks get destroyed, but there's not a lot of what makes a good disaster movie in this movie. This, that's weird. They tried to because the whole speech about how quickly Godzilla could multiply, like if we don't take care of this nest, yeah. then the world is going to, as we know it, will be over. So they tried to put the threat behind it. I just never actually felt like the threat was real. No. It always felt very contained, very um, local. The fact that they never left New York with the monster. Like, the monster attacks a few boats and then New York. It never is a global threat. I guess it ram- It went through a few islands in the in the uh, pacific but sure it was just never it never felt like an end of the world problem it always felt like a new york problem and i think the fact that they s- centered it in new york so much and made it such a new york movie kind of hindered it in that way yeah godzilla was born this godzilla was made in the south pacific and then rampage new york and then went around to the east coast of america <laughs> by did he go by the great horn spoon <laughs> what all right, whatever. Anyway, we got to end this movie. <laughs> I'm going to keep finding problems with it. Um, oh, do we want to uh, cast this Godzilla in our slice of life? I guess. Let me think. I hadn't thought about this. <laughs> Either. I forgot we did this. Could it just be Matthew Broderick? <laughs> no, Ma- Matthew Broderick <laughs> would never go on the offensive. I don't care if you kill <laughs> thousands of his children. <laughs> <laughs> you could never turn Matthew Broderick into. You could never make a John Brick, John Wick movie with Matthew Broderick. I don't care what motivation you give him. How about Jean Reno? Oh, absolutely, he could turn. Oh, he would be very good because he's got the whole like spy stealth thing down. Uh-huh. And also, this Godzilla is French. Oh yeah, and he has the whole sneaky thing of like taking the tapes when uh-huh. animal's not aware of it and yeah yeah absolutely sean reno plays this godzilla in our slice of life and i could totally believe i mean if you've seen leon the professional i would totally believe that he could be a killer when Definite, pushed to it definitely although he doesn't this godzilla doesn't really kill anything when even when it goes on the offensive yeah but he tries <sighs> 
All right, we got to get out of here. <laughs> I will keep being sad about this movie forever. So if you want to get a hold of us, if you disagree with our opinions, if you love this movie, if you like this movie, if you want to share in our despair over this movie. <laughs> despair is a good word for it. You can get a hold of us. We have an email address, kaijuislandpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can contact us on our Twitter, which is at islandkaiju. Our intro and outro are Manga Maniac by Olive Music. Thank you for listening. Let's all fight bravely as a team. Punch, punch, punch. How do you do a sad punch? Punch. <laughs>